We are proud to announce WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You may have heard me mention the WrestleCopia brand in passing on a variety of our shows. You might be asking, what is WrestleCopia? Well, the name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast never continues to grow with a variety of podcasts. Everything from our show, The Wrestling Memory Grenade, where we take a trip down memory lane to wrestling history's past as we analyze and dissect complete years of wrestling history from your favorite promotions, to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. TR Shocks the World, where host Tom Robinson makes his long-awaited return to the wrestling airwaves. Tom does everything from break down the current product to share inside stories and memories from years gone by. It's discretion advised as TR shocks the world with his strong opinions, hilarious impressions, and so much more. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era, with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter, at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter, at WrestleCopia, for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. Turn it on and rip the knob off. Hey guys, welcome back to the Wrestling Memory Grenade. We're at episode number 56. It's all about December of 1993 in the World Wrestling Federation as we close out our 1993 in the WWF project this week. I am your host, Ray Russell. And you heard me right, guys. This is the final week here of 1993 in the WWF. Three more weeks to go of WWF TV. We talk all about everything heading into the new year of 1994. And no, don't worry. We won't be covering 1994. Instead, we'll be moving on to 1987 in the World Wrestling Federation in just a few weeks with episode number 58. And our current schedule for those confused looks like this. We're going to finish up 1993 here in the WWF this week. Then the grenade is going to be taking a week off, but not really. I'll be working behind the scenes to prep everything for our 1987 project. 
all of this week and next i'll also be adding tons of new footage to youtube during that time frame so there will be no grenade next week but the grenade will return in two weeks time with episode number 57 a very special 1993 fallout episode if you will gonna give away say half a dozen awards wrestle of the year tag team of the year jobber of the year uh match of the year uh maybe even pay-per-view match of the year tv match of the year i don't really know i haven't even thought that far ahead yet but we'll give away say half a dozen awards and we'll look back and we'll do a quick evaluation at where things are by the end of 1993 versus the beginning of the year and where some of the talent goes from here and then we move on to the second half of episode 57 it'll also feature an ask us anything segment where you can ask those affiliated with the wrestling memory grenade or the wrestlecopia podcast network any questions you may have that includes myself ray russell tr tom robinson himself any questions you might have for anybody here at the wrestlecopia podcast network ask away by emailing me at wrestlecopia that's wrestlecopia at gmail.com or dming me on twitter at wrestling grenade that's at r-a-s-s-l-i-n grenade you can ask us anything get those questions in now and once again anything guys that includes wrestling and non-wrestling topics i've already gotten some interesting ones some fun ones from social media looking forward to that again the wrestling memory grenade taking a week off next week but we'll be back april 28 two weeks time with a special 1993 fallout slash ask us anything episode of the grenade and then from there in three weeks time may 5th it's the debut edition of our next project here on the grenade 1987 and the world wrestling federation we'll be setting the stage for 1987 that week when we talk the fallout from 1986 andre the giants return to the wwf and his new persona plus we'll talk the injuries to mr wonderful paul orndorff and the dynamite kid evil referee dangerous danny davis the heel turn of the honky tonk man the face turn of jake the snake roberts as well as feuds involving hulk hogan and mr wonderful paul orndorff randy savage versus ricky the dragon steamboat and yes rowdy roddy piper versus the adorable adrian adonis plus wrestlemania 3 let's not forget right around the corner and the debut i know this is what everybody's been waiting for the debut of outback jack all coming here very soon on the grenade and it is going to be a blast dissecting 1987 in the WWF beginning May 5th. Remember, guys, here's the grenade schedule over the next three weeks. Next week, we're taking the week off here. As far as posting a show goes, in two weeks' time, April 28th, we're back with the 1993 Fallout slash Ask Us Anything episode. And in three weeks, May 5th, we begin 1987 in the World Wrestling Federation. Going to be a fun ride indeed. And you guys can listen to the Wrestling Memory Grenade as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network on WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and all of your favorite podcast streaming apps from Apple to Spotify, Google Pod, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Audible on Amazon, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Castro, Podbean, Radio Public, Breaker, Himalaya, Listen Notes, so many more. Also now on the Facebook app in the United States under our RSS feed. We are everywhere, guys, and coming to YouTube very soon. And a special reminder, the Wrestling Memory Grenade looking for a new co-host. In fact, the WrestleCopia Podcast Network looking for co-hosts. Full-time, part-time guest co-hosts from other shows. Come plug your podcast here at WrestleCopia, and let's have some fun conversation in the process. It's all about creating new content for the listeners out there, the wrestling fans just like you and me. All you need in order to participate is a microphone, the ability to use Skype Messenger, 
and a little free time to record some shows. That's all it takes, guys. And you can contact me about becoming a co-host. Again, full-time, part-time, even a guest host. You want to drop in from another show? Feel free. You're more than welcome. All you got to do is contact me at WrestleCopia at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. And while we're talking social media, you can follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade, home of the free prize giveaway. Also, follow and like us on Facebook. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook to double your chance to enter and win all future free prize giveaways. Our current giveaway, a real memory grenade of wrestling history's past as we cover four different decades of wrestling history with four wrestling magazines spanning 1952, 1966, 1974, and 1984. Four magazines for one winner. If you're curious what specific magazines those are, you can go to our social media accounts that I've already mentioned for images and information there. But all you have to do in order to win is follow us on Twitter and follow and like us on Facebook. And when you do that, you are entered into each and every free prize giveaway. It's that easy, guys. Just follow us for your chance to win. The winner of this particular free prize giveaway will be announced May 5th when we kick off 1987 in the WWF. So follow now for your chance to win these awesome four magazines going all the way back to 1952. Boxing and Wrestling Magazine. Great stuff. Also, want to remind you guys of our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. I added tons of new videos just this week. We put the USWA versus WWF feud of 1993 in its own playlist. And I've added a lot more to that storyline down in Memphis. Brett and Owen Hart have arrived in time to heat things up for the summer, taking on the team of Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett, plus the Macho Man returns to Memphis, and a heel Vince McMahon. You might be saying, Ray, I've seen some of this footage on YouTube now for years, and I know you have. I have too. But what sets our particular, the Wrestling Grenades particular playlist apart from others is we start from the very beginning, February 1993, when Doink invades the USWA and continue to follow the story, the USWA versus WWF story, all the way through its demise when Vince McMahon finally pulls his talent out of the territory in mid-November. All of that, plus you get a glimpse of the 1993 sensation, he was sweeping the nation He is a Super Mario, and I don't mean the Nintendo character. Ah, yes, Super Mario. I had the pleasure of not only seeing Super Mario in action, if you want to call it that, one time in 1995. I actually had a conversation with the man. But yes, we've added tons more of the USWA versus WWF feud. You guys will really enjoy that. More WWF 93 stuff going up over the next couple weeks while we take that week down from recording a show. And then we'll move on to 1987 in the WWF footage, plus some other territory footage I have set to go up on our YouTube channel very soon. That channel, again, is youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. More footage on the way. New content added weekly. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel right now. And now is also a great time to be a patron, a WrestleCopia patron, that is, as we have revamped the Patreon account and all-new WrestleCopia Patreon, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia, that's WrestleCopia, over a dozen tiers to choose from, but you know which tier I always promote the most. That's the $5 all-access tier. Includes all of our insanely detailed show notes, including early access to show notes prior to the show's dropping. For instance, this episode right here, episode 56 of The Grenade, the show notes to this episode dropped on our Patreon four days ago. So you've had plenty of time to study up on this episode before it even dropped. Also, part of the $5 all-access tier is early access to many of our podcasts, 
listen days, sometimes more than a week early from the rest of the listeners, plus unedited versions of TR Shocks the World. Tom Robinson, formerly of the 605 Super Podcast fame, Tom Robinson right here in the WrestleCopia family, unedited versions of Tom Robinson, worth the price alone, plus our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series. You guys can watch along or just listen along as we talk all about past WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Coliseum videos, Saturday night's main event, Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat, the big long hour match from Clash of the Champions 6. We've even done USA specials like March to WrestleMania 9. Lots of good stuff there in our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series. But now, oh yes, there's more. We've added more to the $5 all-access tier. We are now offering remastered versions of the Wrestling Memory Grenade. The earliest episodes of the Wrestling Memory Grenade was never really happy with the sound quality as we got things going, and I went back when I finally had some downtime, and I enhanced the sound quality on several of the original episodes, plus new content. You heard me right, new content that you've never heard before. Originally edited out of our initial broadcast of the early shows, they've been edited back in for your listening pleasure. Very cool stuff there. And all of that for the low, low price of $5, the all-access tier. Gets you our insanely detailed show notes, early access to many of the WrestleCopia podcasts, unedited versions of TR Shocks the World, the Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, and now remastered versions, including new content of our earliest episodes of the Wrestling Memory Grenade covering 1989 in the NWA. And remember, there's no subscription. You can cancel any time. But give it a go for a month. I think you'll like the content we offer, and every penny goes into the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. So please help us pay some of the bills to keep the grenade, Monday Warfare, the battles within TR Shocks the World with Tom Robinson, and more up and running for years to come. And with all of that out of the way, it is time to close 1993 in the World Wrestling Federation, and we covered all of December of 1993's news and notes last week plus WWF TV from November 27th through the December 11th edition of WWF Superstars, all last week on episode 55. So we continue on here this week with the December 12th edition of WWF Wrestling Challenge, taped back November 9th in Carbondale, Pennsylvania, still at that pesky high school. And when we kick things off right away, well, something's changed here. It's Jim Ross in the broadcast booth, but that's not Bobby the Brain Heenan. No, remember... It was last week's edition of Monday Night Raw where Gorilla Monsoon gave the boot to his buddy, the brain Bobby Heenan, gone from the World Wrestling Federation. And how apropos as the man replacing Heenan in the color commentary position here, at least for now on Wrestling Challenge, is the Gorilla. Gorilla Monsoon now joining Jim Ross here on Wrestling Challenge. And of course, Gorilla, a former staple of this show himself. In fact, he did the show seemingly forever with Bobby the Brain Heenan going all the way back to the second set of tapings in 1986. Now, there was that little era there when Tony Schiavone came in, but outside of that, it was the Bobby and Gorilla show, much like primetime for many, many years here. And now with Bobby gone, Gorilla slides back in. It was Bobby and Gorilla all the way up until WrestleMania 9, if you guys remember. And then Jim Ross replaces Gorilla in the broadcast booth after WrestleMania 9 here on Challenge. It's been JR and Heenan for the past, say, eight months. And now with Heenan gone, Gorilla slides right back in. Is they're pretty much out of commentators and, and out of heel commentators for certain at this point. And as we kick things off, we see highlights from Raw of Gorilla ridding the WWF of Mr. Bobby the Brain Heenan, his on-TV arch-rival. But in real life, the very best of friends. In fact, Bobby Heenan has told this story in some of his shoot interviews that 
after the show, they went back to Bobby's hotel room and they hugged each other and cried for about an hour straight. Really great friends. One of the worst kept secrets. It's not really a secret anymore in the business, but two of the best of friends. You, you remember Bobby nearly breaking down on Nitro when he said goodbye to Gorilla when Gorilla passed away in the late 90s. So while Gorilla plays it up like he's a happy man here on TV, now that Bobby the Brain Heenan's gone from the company in real life, Bob, uh, Gorilla's hurting. He's, he's lost his, his little buddy, so to speak. But action moves on as 1993 moves on, and we see the return, or at least the wrestling challenge return, of the Native American Tatanka returning from that injury at the hands of Ludwig Borga and Yokozuna. Tatanka scheduled to take on Reno Riggins here as Reno tries an attack but fails as Tatanka takes over, and it's a top rope tomahawk chop followed by the papoose to go to get the easy win, three minutes and 43 seconds. And based on commentary, we learn that Tatanka is back to exact some revenge on Ludwig Borga for not only ending his undefeated streak, but putting him out of action as well. So it sounds like Borga is moving on from Lex Luger and into a feud with the Native American. And rightfully so, Lex Luger will have to wait and see what happens with him over the next couple weeks. And as we move on with the show, we see an ad for the Salvation Army. In fact, the Salvation Army benefit in the New York City area at the Paramount at Madison Square Garden. In fact, tickets are $75 per person. But Gorilla Monsoon informs us that, hey, the ticket is tax deductible and worth the price alone to get this up and close and personal with the WWF superstars. Way to shill there, Gorilla. It's tax deductible. And back to action with the Head Shrinkers with Afa in their corner taking on the team of Frank Kanyak and Steve Smith. And it is the Fatu splash off the top rope onto Smith. Gets the win just 2 minutes and 28 seconds in post-match. Yes, Kanyak eats a pineapple to the face. Haven't seen that in a while again. I love that when they did it in the NWA I wish the Head Shrinkers had done it more here in the WWF. I love watching a pineapple explode across the face of a job guy. But the show moves on and ugh. Unfortunately, it's Doink the Clown, the new and not improved Doink the Clown, accompanied to the ring by Dink, taking on the future thrasher of the headbangers, Glenn Ruth. And I don't know what's going on this week, but this fucking entrance, this Doink entrance, takes forever. He actually gets in the ring and runs out of things to do, just standing in the ring as his music continues to play. I'm not really sure what the hell they were wanting out of this Doink here this week, but even Gorilla Monsoon on commentary makes a comment like, when are we going to ring the bell? as it just goes on forever, and as the match gets going, the announcers claim the women's title finals will take place this Monday in Memphis. Too bad when it airs, it'll be taking place from a Raw taping, as Jim Ross and Gorilla Monsoon both ponder if Luna Vachon is involved. I wrote, they have no idea who is even in the tournament? Question mark? This can't be good for the ladies' division, as Doink the Clown counters a leapfrog and catches... Ruth in a belly-to-belly suplex, and then a dropkick sends Ruth to the outside on the floor. Glenn Ruth stalls on the outside for a bit before Dink kicks him. Ouch! Shouldn't that be a disqualification right in front of the referee? Dink kicks Glenn Ruth, trying to get him back in the ring. Ruth does finally lay chase to Dink around ringside, but runs into a waiting Doink the Clown clothesline around the corner post. And back inside, Doink with a variation of the STF. We'll get the submission win in 2 minutes and 13 seconds. I wrote, blech. Awful shit here, as usual, from the new Doink the Clown. As we head off to -to face-to-face in New York, East Rutherford, New Jersey, the Meadowlands. Tonight, December 12th, guys, tonight, as Adam Bomb will team with his former manager, Johnny Polo, to take on the team of Razor Ramon and the 1-2-3 kid, 
We're going to hear from Harvey, Adam Baum, and the bad guy. You know, Razor Ramon, you are the Intercontinental Champion. And one, two, three, kid, you are lightning fast. You're a great young athlete, a great young wrestler in the World Wrestling Federation. But you're no Adam Bomb. And Razor, you're real lucky that the Intercontinental Championship won't be on the line in a tag team match. Because in East Rutherford, New Jersey, in the Meadowlands Arena, this man would be the Intercontinental Champion. And our dear friend Johnny Polo has promised us he will be the best partner my Adam Bomb has ever had. Ain't that right, Adam Bomb? That's right. Johnny Polo will take care of the one, two, three kid. And we'll see if Razor Ramon is worthy of the goal when you step into the ring with the Dean of Destruction. Well, we knew that team wouldn't be at a loss for words, ladies and gentlemen. But the action starts tonight in the Meadowlands in this big tag team encounter. When I talked to Razor Ramon and the one, two, three kid earlier this week, I asked Razor if this was going to feel a little bit strange. You know, Mr. Ross, I got to admit, maybe a few months ago, this kid, you know... It's no secret. He makes me look stupid. Right here, it happened in the New York area. But he come through for me on a couple occasions. You know, he come through at Survivor Series, Mr. Ross. He come through at Raw. And tonight, in the Meadowlands, Johnny Polo, Adam Baum, gear up, chicos. Adam Baum, I know I can match up with you. And Polo. Think about this, Chico. If the kid beat the bad guy, what's he going to do to you? Adam Baum, the man of 100 monikers. Now he's the Dean of Destruction. Class is in. I wrote, what the fuck? And then Razor Ramon on the other side talking about Johnny Polo. If the kid can beat the bad guy, what's he going to do to someone like a Johnny Polo? Who's merely a manager, right? Well, we'll find out later on this episode of The Grenade, but for now, we're back to the ring. Ludwig Borga ticket on Greg Hatfield. Borga presses Hatfield over his head and down into a Samoan drop. Was that meant for Tatanka? Borga with his own papoose to go there. Not sure if he meant to do that on purpose or not. And then the torture rack gets the win. Just one minute and 56 seconds as we're off to special report with Lord Alfred Hayes as he talks about the Royal Rumble main event. We all know by now it's a casket match. We found that out on Superstars at the end of last week's episode of The Grenade. But this week, Alfred Hayes puts his own spin on it. We're going to listen to Lord Alfred talk about the upcoming casket match here between The Undertaker and WWF champion Yokozuna at the Royal Rumble. In addition to the Royal Rumble match itself, I now have the privilege of being the very first to announce the official World Wrestling Federation Royal Rumble main event. Yokozuna, the mammoth, World Wrestling Federation champion will defend his coveted title against the Grim Reaper, The Undertaker. Now, during negotiations for this important contract, Jim Cornette, the shrewd spokesperson for Yokozuna, inserted his patent one-time-only clause. However, since then, there has been some underhanded conspiracy taking place, to wit, the obese scheming little toad, Paul Bearer, has covertly persuaded Tony to include another shocking clause. It will be a casket match. This spiteful collusion with the World Wrestling Federation President Jack Tunney is to be regarded as a very low blow indeed. Here is the champion, Mr. Fuji and Jay Cornette, Esquire. 
Ooh, you better watch your words there, Alfred. Jack Tunney might be listening in underhanded conspiracy taking place. And uh, my personal favorite part of the segment, Alfred Hayes referring to Paul Bear as a obese, skimming little toad. And that apparently Bear has colluded with Jack Tunney. Man, Alfred, watch your step here. Also very cool, as Hayes goes to throw it to Jim Cornette, he refers to him as J. Cornette Esquire. Good stuff, as usual, there from Lord Alfred Hayes. Thank you, your lordship. As we get back to the ring, it's crushed with Master Fuji in his corner, taking on the future supernova, Mike Bucci. And we see the Tour of the Islands, the Tilt-A-Whirl Backbreaker, which Jim Ross describes as the tour being nice, but the landing being a little bumpy. Ha-ha, JR. As Crush with the press slam drops Bucci behind his back, Ultimate Warrior style, before he goes into the Cranium Crunch, the head vice. JR says it's now called the Kona Crunch. Crush picks up the quick submission win, 1 minute and 25 seconds. And to add insult to injury, post-match, Crush even drops a big leg across the head of Bucci as the action continues. Steiner Brothers taking on the team of Mike Corey and Iron Mike Sharp. There's one thing that's for certain here. A Mike is going to do the job this week. Corey eats a dragon suplex early on by Scott Steiner and then forced to tag out to Iron Mike Sharp. Sharp eats a Rick Steiner line and he wants no part of this match, so tags back in Mike Corey. Poor Mike Corey. Eats a tilt-a-whirl slam by Rick Steiner and then Scotty in with the Frankensteiner. Gets the win in just two minutes and 35 seconds. We're off to double J vignette number seven. One more time, walking down the road with Frank Morrell, referee, fa- former wrestler Frank Morrell, current USWA referee. They run into old Waldo the Country Sacks. We talked all about that last week on the grenade, so we'll move on as we see highlights from this past Monday Night Raw. It's Shawn Michaels taking on the one, two, three kid, leading to Shawn taunting Razor Ramon by dropping the kid in not one, but two Razor's Edges. Sean looking for the third Razor's Edge on the kid when Razor Ramon comes ringside and saves his little buddy, pulls the kid to safety, which leads to Sean slapping Razor, and then Razor in chase to the heartbreak kid down the aisle. Sean conveniently trips in the aisleway and crawls back through the curtains as Razor leans in to grab the kid. Out comes a big right hand, a knockout punch from Diesel through the curtain, lays Razor out, and then Sean Michaels delivers not one again, but two Razor's Edges to Razor Ramon on the concrete. Great angle there, and we're back to the ring to see the self-professed, undisputed intercontinental champion, Shawn Michaels, taking on John Paul. And of course, Shawn comes to ringside, rocking his own IC title, and he even corrects the ring announcer. He says to tell them to welcome back the undisputed IC champ, but reminds us this particular match with John Paul, not a title match. Well, you got that right, Shawn. The heartbreak kid dominates early, but he gets a bit cocky, and Paul tries to fight back, but to no avail. Shawn Michaels, quick win here this week. Piledriver gets it in 1 minute and 48 seconds. And watching him here in this match, the entrance, the match itself, even the stuff after the match, Shawn just feels rejuvenated here and comes off as even more confident than he was before, which could spell trouble. And it's back to -to face-to-face. The Meadowlands once again tonight, December 12th. It's the macho man Randy Savage looking for revenge against former best friend Crush. Tonight, Randy Savage, the wait is over, brother. No more second guessing on who the teacher is here and who the master is. Brother, I did everything you told me at one time. We were like this, best friends, bar none. But when I surpassed you, macho man, when I became your superior, no, you couldn't take it, brother. 
So I tried to end this thing peacefully with a nice warning. But no, you took it upon yourself to come back. And you came back hard. But now, tonight, brother, it's going to be the first time me and you step in the ring, macho man. It's going to be the first and the last. Because I'm going to finish you once and for all. You can see the phenomenal intensity in Crush's face about tonight's matchup. But uh, Randy Savage is the most intense athlete in the WWF. I talked to him earlier this week. Listen to this. Tonight's tonight in the Meadowlands, rocking and reeling. I'm going to be dancing in the ceiling, but I'm going to be doing a tap dance on your head. Crush, yeah, crush, crush in the Meadowlands tonight. Tonight's tonight, yeah. Putting my hat in the ring, yeah. No more retirement for the macho man, Randy Savage. Crush, crush, yeah. That's what I'm going to do to you, crush. Then there's no way out. And you and Garbage Fuji, you're going to understand that you shouldn't have got me riled, yeah. Because I'm going to do the thing to you, and there's nothing that you can about it. You know why? Because the fact is that the Meadowlands is going to be turned upside down and all the people are going to be going freaky. Yeah. Freak out. Yeah. Macho madness. Crush and crush. An old fashioned slobber knocker, folks. Savage and crush tonight. Don't you miss it in the Meadowlands. Garbage Fuji. Crush, crush. wonder why that never got over. He's going to crush, crush tonight in the Meadowlands. And that concludes Wrestling Challenge, so we move on to All-American for December 12th. With Bobby Heenan now gone from the company, Vince McMahon hosting All-American all by his lonesome here this week. And in a brand new set, because it's Vince McMahon, so of course we get a brand new set here for All-American, is once again we get the casket match announcement for the Royal Rumble, and Vince McMahon conducts an interview with Paul Bearer here on All-American, exclusive All-American interview with Paul Bearer via a video link. And we move on to Monday Night Raw, December 13th, 1993, Poughkeepsie, New York, at the Mid-Hudson Civic Center. And say it with me, we are live! As we get things going, Vince McMahon, well, the Macho Man's been suspended from broadcasting, and Bobby Heenan got the boot last week. So, why? It's Jim Cornette, the new co-host, or at least the guest co-host this week. Jim Cornette temporarily filling in for the spot that was Bobby the Brain Heenan's this week. As we go back in time, we see a clip last week of Gorilla Monsoon booting Bobby the Brain Heenan from the World Wrestling Federation and back to ringside Vince McMahon with Jim Cornette, complete with Santa Claus racket. He's got his racket dressed up like Santa Claus, very festive for the holidays. Never let it be said that Jim Cornette is a Scrooge. As we go to the ring, it's the in-ring return of the Macho Man Randy Savage as he takes on Fatu of the Head Shrinkers, Afa in his corner, and Macho returns to competition now that he's banned from the broadcast booth, and he has Crush on his mind. Aha! But Fatu is on top early, no selling turnbuckle shots and having his head rammed into the mat because he's Samoan, so you can't hurt his head, Macho Man. As Savage repeatedly goes to the head of Fatu, Fatu no-sells and delivers a thrust kick, which drops the Macho Man and out to the floor. And then Fatu rams Savage into the steel steps, but then it's the Macho Man's turn. Ramming Fatu into the steel steps, but once again, you can't hurt his head. He's Samoan, damn it. So the Macho Man still hasn't learned his lesson after three tries of the match. You just can't hurt Fatu's head. As Fatu responds on the floor with yet another thrust kick, wipes out the Macho Man, then back inside. Savage fights back, but gets backdropped back outside over the top rope to the floor where Afa 
even then gets involved. Afa with a little assault on the Macho Man outside while Fatu distracts the referee. And this match is almost all Fatu thus far as he nails Savage with a piece of his ring gear and then goes up top for the big Fatu splash. But the Macho Man up and he shakes the ropes, crotching Fatu. And Fatu takes a nasty bump from the top turnbuckle all the way out to the floor, which lets Savage climb to the top rope and out to the floor with the double axe handle on the outside. Then back inside, the Macho Man turns Fatu out with a really nice clothesline and a great bump by Fatu there. Afa up on the apron, but Savage nails him too, sends Afa down. And then the flying elbow drop gets the win for the Macho Man in just five minutes and 50 seconds. The Macho Man is back, brother. Aha! And I like it. From there, we get a Todd Pettengill vignette from the set of WWF Mania. Todd claims he has paid for this time on Raw out of his own pocket. Pettengill isn't happy with the decision that President Jack Tunney made to ban the Macho Man from their show, WWF Mania. And Todd says Savage deserves to remain on the show with Todd, his tag team partner. So call, you, you knew it was coming, guys. Call the WWF 900 number right now and vote yes on Referendum M. Vote the Macho Man back to WWF Mania. Vote on whether the Macho Man should return, yes or no. And I wrote, Todd had to pay for this shit? Yet the 900 line is part of the WWF? Something ain't right here. And as far as 900 vote lines go, they are really reaching now. Vote for the Macho Man to return to WWF Mania. As we go to a Lex Luger PSA, the American original Lex Luger. Tells everyone to just say no to drugs, kids. And back to the ring, it's the Smoking Guns, taking on the team of Steve Smith and Jim Massinger. This is really all just a backdrop for Jim Cornette to assure us that Lex Luger won't be in the Royal Rumble match. He had his title shot at SummerSlam. He had his one and only chance. And even if Luger won the Rumble, even if he was in the Rumble, he can't have the title match. So why would he be permitted to enter in the first place? Good question there by Jim Cornette. Corny also says, He's flying to Toronto tomorrow to speak in person with President Jack Tunney to make sure it doesn't happen. Corny even quips, where's Willie Gilsenberg when you need him? Former WWF president Willie Gilsenberg from the early era of the WWWF. Vince McMahon responds to Cornette's comments about going to see Jack Tunney. I can't believe you're going to issue a formal complaint with Jack Tunney. To which Cornette responds, it's not formal. I'm not wearing a tuxedo. And then as the guns dominate this match, we see Captain Lou Albano randomly wander to ringside. During the course of the match, the manager of champions, especially tag team champions, Lou had something like at least a dozen tag team champions over the years. But back inside, Billy Gunn off the top rope with a bulldog on Massinger. Gets the win, 2 minutes and 48 seconds. As we roll on, we see highlights of the issues last week once again between the kid, Razor Ramon, Shawn Michaels, and Diesel, where Shawn leaves Razor Ling after the razor's edge on the concrete, so it's back to the ring as IRS takes on Todd Mata. And as IRS prepares for action, he props his briefcase up on the top turnbuckle and opens it up to take a peek inside. The camera also gets a peek inside, and we see it, guys. Here it is. The proof is in the pudding, if you will, babies. Razor Ramon's golden chains inside the briefcase of IRS. Remember last week, when Razor laid chase to Shawn Michaels around ringside, he took all of his gold off. He threw it down on the floor. Big mistake there, bad guy. But Razor laid chase to Shawn Michaels, wind up getting wiped out with those Razor's edges on the concrete. And we never saw those gold chains again. Well, here they are in IRS's briefcase. 
So they've given a little bit of a storyline here to the IRS Razor Moan feud, finally, as this match actually uncharacteristically sees a lot of kicking and punching from Mike Rotunda, and then he gets the win with a back suplex. I wrote, blah. IRS gets the win over Todd Mata with a back suplex. The only thing good about this, it went one minute and 46 seconds. Post-match, Erwin picks up his briefcase, which just happens to accidentally open up once again, exposing Razor's gold once more to the fans. So it would appear that IRS has repossessed Razor's golden chains. As we go on, we get the Yoko Claus segment. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, it blew my mind back in 1993. It's a vignette of Yokozuna sitting in Times Square dressed as Santa Claus with Mr. Fuji as an elf by his side. They're handing out presents to the little girls and boys. Little girl even kisses Yokozuna on the cheek. Mr. Fuji wishes Paul Bear and the Undertaker a, a Merry Christmas. But just so odd to see Yokozuna smiling and kissing babies and wearing a Santa Claus hat. And out of nowhere, Yokozuna sits up in his bed at home. Like, it was all a dream. It was all a nightmare. Yokozuna, a baby face? WWF. Unbelievable. And if you didn't know wrestling was fake before, this is one of those instances where you go, why would the evil, badass, Japanese wrestling heel agree to do this commercial? Happy holidays from the World Wrestling Federation. We roll on. It is the Undertaker in the ring with Paul Bear in his corner taking on J.S. Storm as the Undertaker just mauls poor Storm, choke slam, and Tombstone gets the win. Two minutes, 12 seconds. Taker even pulls out the old body bag and puts Storm inside. Bring him back the body bag. As we move on to the final vignette of Double J, Jeff Jarrett. In fact, it's a montage of all the previous vignettes all edited together. My favorite part is as he's spelling his name at the end, they use segments of all of the different vignettes to spell his name. And that's once again, J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-Double-T. That's Double J now. Coming to the WWF next week, that's Jeff Jarrett. And also next week, here on Raw, the Native American Tatanka returns for revenge as he looks to take on the Hellraiser from Helsinki, Ludwig Borga. Tatanka and Borga, the rematch, right here next week on Monday Night Raw. And back to the ring, the model Rick Martel taking on Tim McNeeny. McNeeny with some hope spots early on with a hip toss, a crossbody, an inside cradle, and even a sunset flip for a two count on the model. But McNeeny runs into a Nini, or just a knee, if you will, in the corner, and the model with some jumping jacks to show off as he makes the comeback. McNeeny fires back again, though, tries a dropkick, but misses, and Martell into the Boston Crab, picks up the submission win, two minutes and 59 seconds. And as Martell's leaving ringside, we even see a fan with a model poster. Very cool there as the camera gets a shot of the model marking out for himself there on his poster. And we move on. The Owen Hart promo from Superstars. Last week, we talked about it. Owen Hart challenging his brother, Brett, to a match one-on-one. And we'll find out Brett's response here in just a moment on Superstars. But for now, we head back to the ring here on Raw. It is the hitman, Bret Hart, in the ring taking on the Brooklyn Brawler. As we learn that Shawn Michaels will be the guest color commentator for next week's episode of Raw. Kind of bummed about that. I'd hoped Corny had stayed on full-time. I mean, if you're going to replace Bobby Heenan, this is the next best thing. And with Brett working a rare squash match, this is obviously the perfect time for a backdrop to discuss the potential match between brothers Brett and Owen. Brett dominates the action in the ring. The brawler does fight back, but gets slammed off the top rope. And Bret Hart with the five moves of doom 
using Virgil's Russian leg sweep. There it is. Remember, we saw Virgil get a win on last week's episode of the Grenade using the old Million Dollar Dream. Well, Brett's taking back the Russian leg sweep here. The middle rope elbow, a backbreaker sets it up, and the sharpshooter gets the submission win over the brawler. Brett picking up another win. Four minutes, 17 seconds. And once again, remember to call the 900 vote line. We'll find out Saturday on Mania if the Macho Man can return as Todd's co-host. And next week here on Raw, Shawn Michaels, guest color commentator. It's the Raw debut of Double J Jeff Jarrett in the ring. And of course, the rematch between Tatanka and Ludwig Borga. And as we end this edition of Raw, I wrote six matches? Question mark? Six matches packed into this week's episode of Raw. Lots of shorter matches this week. We get tons of enhancement squashes. We saw the model, Bret Hart, The Undertaker, IRS. But a lot of these very important IRS holding the gold of Razor Ramon. He's going to be challenging for the Intercontinental title. A win for The Undertaker, who will be scheduled, who's scheduled to take on Yokozuna at the Royal Rumble. Bret Hart. Mm, we'll find out what happens with Bret moving forward, but certainly in the middle of his storyline with Brother Owen. Then, of course, some throwaway segments, the model, the smoking guns, getting them on the air. Randy Savage back with a win over Fatu as we move on to WWF Superstars December 18th. Tape December 1st, Utica, New York, War Memorial. New set of tapings here. And the show kicks off with a clip of last week's challenge issued from Owen Hart to Brother Brett. We will hear from the hitman here today on Superstars. We will get his response. Hosting this week, Vince McMahon and Sweet Stan Lane. We learn that Brett and Owen Hart have entered the Royal Rumble match itself. They will be two of the 30 participants involved, but Lex Luger has thus far been temporarily held out of the match. As of this point, December 18th, Lex Luger not permitted to enter the Royal Rumble. And it's off to the ring with Bam Bam Bigelow with Luna Vachon in his corner. Taking on PJ Walker, we get an insert promo from Bigelow. What does he want for Christmas? Well, he wants Doink's head on a platter and a nice fireplace for he and his main squeeze to cozy up. Back to the action, Bigelow lays in some hard shots and sends PJ over the top rope, but Walker lands on his feet. And as Bigelow is busy gloating and chatting with referee Bill Alfonso, it's PJ Walker off the top rope with an awesome missile dropkick for a near fall on Bigelow. And PJ back up with two more quick dropkicks, which stun the bammer, but Walker makes the mistake of going for a shoulder tackle and runs into Bigelow like a brick wall. Walker turned inside out on that one. Bam Bam, in no mood, nails a forward-falling power slam and picks up the quick win, 2 minutes and 26 seconds. And I've noticed this for a while, but i got to say something about it. Bam Bam Bigelow hasn't used the diving headbutt as a finisher in quite some time. And I'm starting to wonder why. I don't recall this going on for this long. I remember Bam Bam sometimes using other finishers during this era. I don't remember him doing it every single match. I mean, he's used a good 10 different moves at this point to put his opponents away, everything from a dropkick to what we've seen right here today, the, the forward-falling power slam. Very odd. Bigelow not really connecting with the diving headbutt in, in months, it would seem. But watching P.J. Walker here, you just knew he had something going for him. There was a future for this young kid, and you can just tell with guys like P.J. Walker and Scott Taylor, they have talent. They can do more than just work as enhancement, and eventually they'll get their shots. Of course, Walker will go on to become Aldo Montoya, the Portuguese man of war, and later on, just incredible. On the other end, Scott Taylor will be Scotty Too Hotty of Too Cool and Beyond. But it's really cool to see them getting their feet wet here in 1993 as we go to Vince McMahon, who's sitting by in a locker room interviewing Brett the Hitman Hart. 
As Vince asks Brett how it feels to hear Owen challenge him to a match, Brett says that Owen is a messed up kid right now and that a match would tear the family apart. Brett also wonders where Owen gets the impression that he was always favored and Owen was always pushed to the side. Vince then asks if Owen was indeed the better athlete and student. Brett's response is, Does it matter? Does it matter, asks the hitman. Brett puts over Owen's athletic accomplishments and never felt the need to be compared against each other. As Brett always felt, it was about having the heart name being brought to the top, not about in-family competition. Brett also says that Owen never lived in his shadow, but Brett did start here in the WWF before Owen, so he got a jump on him. Brett's proud of his own accomplishments here, and Owen should be too. Vince then asks the hitman about Owen not being asked to celebrate with the family after their win at the Survivor Series, but Brett clears the record. He said that was false and that his father, Stu Hart, wanted everyone to be out in the ring at the end of the match to celebrate should they win, including Brother Owen, and Owen was told this before the match. Brett was shocked at how Owen handled the entire situation. Vince then puts over Brett's accomplishments in the WWF and how that could make Owen jealous. Then McMahon asks the hitman if he is as selfish as Owen says that Brett is. Brett says that that question is hurting and believes in his heart. He's never been a selfish wrestler or a selfish brother. Brett has always tried to be the best big brother he could be to Owen. He says he would rather talk to brother Owen about their feelings rather than wrestle. Vince then asks the big question to the hitman. Will he accept the challenge of Owen Hart to wrestle his brother Owen one-on-one? And here's Brett's response. Your response, will you accept the challenge? Um, let me, I, I know there's all kinds of people who would love to see that. I mean, people love to see any kind of a controversial fight. A fight, a great fight is a great fight. People thrive on that. And uh, I've never ever ducked any kind of a challenge. I never backed away from anybody. And uh, I, I would wrestle anybody. And uh, I, I like to... Uh, live up to those words of saying I'm the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be, and I take on anybody, but under no circumstances would I ever, absolutely, positively not ever step in the ring with my own brother under any circumstances. Uh, I won't do it. I was, there's a point, and in, 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 in this is as far as it'll go. I, I, uh, I will not fight my brother. And there it is. Brett says, this is as far as it will go. He will never, absolutely, positively ever wrestle his brother Owen Hart. Never say never, pal. So Owen lays out the challenge to brother Brett last week. This week, for now, Brett Hart declines the offer to step in the ring with brother Owen. It will tear the family apart, says the hitman. We'll have more on this as the weeks go on. Back to the ring. It's the 1-2-3 kid taking on Dwayne Gill. And Gill with a nice running dropkick early in the match, but the kid comes back with his own Spinning heel kick and a snap leg drop. Kid sends Gill into the corner, rushes in with a spin kick into Gill in the corner. Love that move. And the top rope moonsault body block gets the win in just one minute and 59 seconds for the one, two, three kid as we're off to face to face on the Peacock. We talk about the Royal Rumble and the upcoming casket match as we hear from Paul Bearer and Jim Cornette. I talked to Paul Bearer earlier this week, and I asked him if these rules would give The Undertaker a decided advantage. Oh, yes, Mr. Ross. The entire world knows that the casket match is my Undertaker's own invention. 
My undertaker has never lost a casket match, so we don't plan to be losing the casket match at the Royal Rumble. In fact, my undertaker has been very busy. Oh, yes, he has. Constructing a very special casket for Yokozuna. Well, he'll lay in peace forever and ever. Oh, yes! Well, some uh, rather irreverent and morbid thoughts from Paul Bear. And when I talked to Jim Cornette and Master Fuji this week, I asked them quite frankly, is Yokozuna intimidated by The Undertaker? Jim Ross, I can't believe you would say that. I can't believe those words would come out of your mouth. I am cut to the quick. Mr. Fuji's ready to commit Harry Carey. Uh, that you would say something like that. Well, that's what I hear. No, well, you hear mistakenly. You hear wrong just like all those people. Let me tell you something. Yokozuna is not intimidated by anybody. Yokozuna stands well over six and a half feet tall, weighs almost 600 pounds. He's big enough to step on some toes and keep on walking. And I guarantee you, Undertaker, Paul Bearer, he would love nothing more. Oh, he would love nothing more than to take the Undertaker and break him into pieces that even Paul Bearer in his mortuary couldn't put back together, stick them both in that urn, and ship them both out of the World Wrestling Federation. And if we got anything to do with it, that's exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> All right, Bearer tells his side for the Undertaker heading into the title match at the Royal Rumble. Jim Cornette then responds, but we've got more face-to-face for you here this week. The WWF headed back to Madison Square Garden. January 17th, the New York City Rumble that night, but also on the card, Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon scheduled to defend his title against newcomer Double J Jeff Jarrett. We're going to hear from both. I asked the bad guy if the New York City fans would give him the advantage. You know, Mr. Ross, you talk about Edge, you talk about Razor Ramon, they go together. MSG, man, the big time. Y'all. Country bumpkin, Double J, Oya me chico. The garden is like the Razor's second home. With my schedule defending this belt, I spend more time here in New York than in Miami. Chico, your first time. Think about this, man. The bad guy is undefeated. In MSG. Well, the bad guy certainly makes a very good point. He is undefeated in Madison Square Garden. Now, this will be Double J's first time in the garden, and I asked him what he thought of the New York fans. Uh, oh, Ross, what do I think of the Rotten Apple fans? Well, I think they stink. You know, some people may call them enthusiastic, but you know what Double J calls them? Calls them big mouth foreigners, because you know what an American is in New York City? He's a foreigner. And Ross, oh, it makes me sick to my stomach to think about it. You know, you walk down Madison Avenue, you got a cabbie hollering over here and a, some guy getting out of his cab trying to run you over. Oh, it makes me sick to my stomach. Well, that may happen to you in Madison Square Garden when you meet Razor Ramon. He's very popular here, you know. <laughs> he reminds me of all the big mouth New York City fans. And Razor Ramon, that IC title, baby, it's going to be mine. Oh, don't you forget, Double J. That's J-E-double-L-J-A-double-R-E-double-T-double-J. All right, and I'd never noticed that in the past. Razor Ramon at this point, undefeated in Madison Square Garden. Cool little tidbit there as the bad guy walks into the garden on January 17th, taking on Jeff Jarrett. Less than a week 
before the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. We get a Royal Rumble in Madison Square Garden, and that match is out there. I'm sure it's on YouTube. If it's not, I'll make sure that it is. But that Madison Square Garden card is out there in handheld form. Also includes Ludwig Borges suffering that ankle injury in his match with Rick Steiner on the undercard, and the one 2 3 kid suffering his injury as he and Marty Jannetty actually defend. Yes, they will become WWF Tag Team Champions by then. They will defend and lose their tag team titles back to the Quebecers, their big MSG show, but also features an injury to Ludwig Borga, who will never return to the WWF ring again after said injury, and an injury to the 1-2-3 kid, keeping both of them out of the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. But we're going back to December now, and speaking of Jeff Jarrett and that face-to-face, it is finally time. Eight weeks of vignettes lead to this. It's the in-ring debut here in the WWF of Double J. Jeff Jarrett as he takes on Chris Duffy. Ugh, couldn't they have picked a better job guy here for a debut? But here it is, guys, the debut of Double J as he Fargo struts all the way to the ring, sporting a purple and orange outfit this week. And then Jarrett on the mic before the match, just to remind everybody how to spell his name one more time. J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T. And as the match gets going, we get an insert promo from Jarrett. What does he want for Christmas? He wants to rename the WWF the the Double JF. Very creative there as we go back to the ring. Stan Lane on commentary with a little background this week on Chris Duffy, who apparently played football at Braintree High School in Massachusetts and coaches Little League. All righty. Not sure what that was about. Chris Duffy also apparently does a nice hip toss as he lands one here but misses an elbow drop. Duffy telegraphs a backdrop, and Jarrett counters with a jumping DDT. Double J picks up the win just one minute and 51 seconds. Post-match, Jarrett begins to leave, but watches himself on the video wall before spelling his name once again. And as he concludes spelling his name, J-A-R-R-E-T-T, and walks away, Vince McMahon points out, Hey, his tooth didn't sparkle, pal. Nice shot there from Vince McMahon. Uh, After watching this match, you know, I was a giant fan of Jeff Jarrett when I was growing up, watching him in the USWA in Dallas on ESPN, followed him in the aftermags, was pumped to see him heading here in the WWF. It was a long time coming. He just needed to bulk up a little bit for the big boys. But this debut was very lackluster, and I think a lot of it was the crowd. They were dead here. Not a very good crowd here in Utica. And the WWF didn't even bother to pipe in sound. Very basic squash, too. And this is pre-figure four. Jarrett with the jumping DDT out of nowhere scores the win. Not a lot of impressive offense either here in the debut for Double J. But it'll improve with time. Got to get used to working that New York style, of course. As we're off to update and Gorilla Monsoon, he goes back to last week's Raw. That's two Raws ago, I should say. We see the clips once again of Shawn Michaels attacking Razor Ramon on the concrete. And then we learn that IRS has stolen the gold, as seen on last week's episode of Raw. And that leads us to the announcement of a match between Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon defending his championship against IRS as part of the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. Another match added to the pay-per-view. Now IRS challenging Razor for the IC title. And it's back to the ring as Crush takes on not Russ, but Ross Greenberg here this week. Same guy, by the way. Crush misses a stinger splash in the corner early on, and Greenberg works Crush over with punches and a dropkick. Stumbles the big man into the corner. Greenberg then smashes Crush into the turnbuckle. And it's Ross Greenberg off the top rope with a nice-looking crossbody block, but it's caught by Crush, who turns it into a backbreaker. And then yet another tilt-a-whirl backbreaker, the Turtle the Islands, pal. Crush them with a thrust kick, a gorilla press with reps. Very impressive pressing Greenberg with reps 
over his head before dropping him. And then Crush gets the win this week with the leg drop. Eat your heart out of Hulk Hogan. Crush picks up the win two minutes and 40 seconds. And standing by right now, at least here this week on Superstars, Vince McMahon refers to him as NASCAR's own Thurman Plug. You may know him better as Bob Holly. Start your engines. My name is Thurman Plug, but my friends, they call me Sparky. You call me Sparky, too. I'm so excited about being here, but do you know what I like most about being here? Because when I'm strapped in the seat of that race car, and I'm flying down that straightaway, and they drop that green flag, I'll pedal to the metal. Just like when I come to the World Wrestling Federation, I'm going to walk down that aisle, and when I get in the ring, and when they ring that bell, I'm going to be wide open, pedal to the metal, and ain't nobody going to stop Sparky Plug. All right, and in his initial debut vignette there, it is Hardcore Holly, a.k.a. Bob Sparkplug Holly, a.k.a. Thurman Sparky Plug. I'm, Thur- I'm Thurman Plug. My friends call me Sparky, and you can call me Sparky too. Bob Holly, a guy that Dave Meltzer referred to, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, is basically the poor man's Bobby Eaton, like the next Bobby Eaton, basically, back on the indies. Bob Holly got his start around 86, working the indies down in Alabama and all around the outlaw territories down there. Jim Cornette had a big push in mind for him with the inception of Smoky Mountain Wrestling back in 1992, but Holly was making more money at his real job welding, and he just couldn't, couldn't stop working his real job in order to pursue professional wrestling at that time in 92. You have to wonder if it was Jim Cornette who put in a word here to Vince McMahon about bringing in Bob Holly as Thurman Plug. I don't know if he was happy about that, but I thought it was funny as Vince announces him here as a NASCAR, as NASCAR's own Thurman Plug. Now, the type of car that Bob Holly drives will change by the next time we see this vignette. But yes, Bob Holly on his way to the World Wrestling Federation. We're off to a Royal Rumble report with Todd Pettengill. He reminds us of the newly announced Intercontinental title match between Razor Ramon and IRS. Also, that casket match between WWF champion Yokozuna and The Undertaker. We even throw to a Paul Bearer promo. He is in The Undertaker's workshop as The Undertaker begins building a double-deep, double-wide casket for the carcass of Yokozuna. What was cool here was as we were entering the workshop, we actually saw the old Kamala casket, complete with moon and stars symbols. And then we find out the first nine entrants into the Royal Rumble match. We already heard about Brett and Owen joining the fray. Also speaking, hey, speaking of Kamala, Kamala's back, apparently although he never actually makes it to the pay-per-view. Kamala announced in the first nine participants for the 1994 Royal Rumble. Also Crush, Doink, Mabel from Men on a Mission, because Uncle Mo is just fodder. Also Scott Steiner of the Steiner Brothers, and listen to this, Shawn Michaels and Bodyguard Diesel. The first nine names in, and Brett, Owen, Shawn Michaels, Diesel, Crush, Mabel, Scott Steiner, Doink. Lots of familiar names here that we've been covering quite a bit here in the WWF as of late, and Kamala was originally scheduled to return, though that doesn't happen. He actually gets replaced by his alternate, Virgil. So even Virgil makes the Royal Rumble 94. We also learn that, once again, Lex Luger currently denied entry into the Royal Rumble match, pending an ongoing decision to be made by President Jack Tunney. I'll spoil it for you now, Lex Luger, because it's not announced until the first week or second week of 1994. Lex Luger does wind up not only entering the Royal Rumble, you know the deal. It's the co-winner Royal Rumble. Bret Hart and Lex Luger go over together. Co-winners of the 94 Royal Rumble. Luger, at this point, though, denied entry. Fun little story they're telling there. And they also mentioned that there will be an opinion poll opening soon. 
another 900 vote line. You can vote on whether you think Lex Luger should enter the Royal Rumble or not. Hmm. Shameless 900 vote lines here, ending the year of 1993. As we get a Razor Ramon PSA, he tells us not to pollute our lungs with tobacco smoke because smokers are losers. Man. Smokers are losers, says the bad guy Razor Ramon. And back to the ring, it's former tag champions, the Steiner Brothers, taking on the Brooklyn Brawler and Tony DeVito as we get guest ring announcer Brian George. And hey, not a bad voice from this guy. Could have stolen some work here, at least on the, uh, the smaller promotions. And we get another insert promo, this time from the Steiners, talking about what they want for Christmas. Rick wants a million dollars and a fishing pole, but most of all, they want the tag team titles back. They then tell the Quebecers to have a very rotten Christmas. Well, that doesn't sound very nice from the Steiner brothers. Hopefully they got what they wanted for Christmas. Back inside, the brawler gets worked over early on in a rolling belly-to-belly by Scott Steiner before DeVito is tagged in and runs right into a Steiner liner before Scott back in with the double underhook powerbomb, and then it's the Doomsday Bulldog on DeVito. Steiner's pick up the win, 2 minutes and 54 seconds. We're off to -to face-to-face, talking Royal Rumble. As we now know, IRS will challenge Razor Ramon for his IC title. We'll hear from the bad guy. But Razor's a very proud guy. This is almost a, I don't know, a, a sentimental situation for him because he debuted in the WWF at the Royal Rumble, and I asked him what it meant to defend the IC title at the Rumble. Royal Rumble time again in the WWF. Time for the bad guy maybe to look back. Think about it. From the gutter to the top. And lately, everybody taking cheap shots at the bad guy. Shawn Michaels tries to cripple me. The tax man rips me off. Yo, IRS. Oya, man, man. You want Razor's gold, man? No problema. Royal Rumble, Chico. I'm putting this up. You want it? Come get it. Should be a great contest for the Intercontinental title. All right, and Razor Ramon looking forward to proving he is the better man there when he takes on IRS at the pay-per-view. But also, we learned today that Shawn Michaels, now an entrant, into the 30-man Royal Rumble match. Of course, the winner goes on to WrestleMania to challenge for the WWF title. We're going to hear what Shawn Michaels has to say if he should just happen to draw number one and Bodyguard Diesel would draw number two. Also, earlier, ladies and gentlemen, I talked to Shawn Michaels, and I asked Shawn what it would be like if he were the first man in the Royal Rumble and his pal Diesel was the second. Well, you know something? I wouldn't be real happy about that, Jim Ross. I got to be honest with you. Diesel's my buddy. He's my good pal. But I got to tell you something, big man. Everything you know about wrestling, you learn from the heartbreak kid. And if you wanted to come in number two, I'd have to show you the hard way that I am the wrestler of the 90s. There's going to be some outstanding wrestlers in this Royal Rumble. Obviously, 30 of them eventually in the ring at one time. One of them, the WWF Superstar of the Year, Bret the Hitman Hart. Hey, I'll tell you what, Bret the Hitman Hart, he is great. All the superstars in the World Wrestling Federation are great. You don't get here by being a slouch. The Royal Rumble is the one thing that will prove who is the man that stands above all these great superstars. And I'm telling you what, it's going to be Shawn Michaels. All right, and HBK making it very clear. It is every man for himself. At the end of the day, he's going to do what he has to do to get that shot at WrestleMania and the WWF title. But before we move on, I, I did want to point something out. Another little faux pas there from good old JR, Jim Rossi. 
when he was talking about Razor Ramon, he mentioned that Razor Ramon had made his debut at the Royal Rumble. Now, we know Razor Ramon debuted back in the summer of 1992. He actually challenged the Hitman. If you guys remember all the way back to that episode of The Grenade, the Royal Rumble 93 challenged Brett for the WWF title. But Jim Ross stating that Razor Ramon had made his debut with the company back at the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. I wrote, who gave you that bad information, JR? As we move on, another face-to-face, the New York City market. Tatanka coming to town to take on WWF champion Yokozuna, looking for a little revenge. Remember Yokozuna, one of the men that took Tatanka out prior to the Survivor Series and the WWF title? More than icing on the cake. Let's hear from the Native American and Jim Cornette. Jim Ross, of course I am physically ready. I am ready because when I got hurt and got injured and felt all that pain that I had inside, I went back to my homelands. I went back to where I could gain the wisdom from my elders, where I could sit down with a medicine man that could make me heal faster. I trained six days a week, two and a half hours a day to be back here in the World Wrestling Federation. So Jim Ross, I am definitely ready to face Yokozuna. But Yokozuna, you have created an animal because during that time, I realized something. In my soul, in my heart, you brought something out. I felt the pain that you gave me. So Yokozuna, that has built up inside of me. And when we face, you will feel the pain yourself. You know, folks, I really believe that we're going to see a much more aggressive Tatanka, uh, a much more determined Tatanka than ever before on the 17th in the garden. And when I talked to Yokozuna, Cornette, and Fuji earlier in the week, I asked him if they were concerned about Tatanka's motivation of revenge. Oh. Oh, yes, I'm so concerned. Uh, Mr. Fuji is shaking in his boots. You can see Yokozuna literally trembling with fear. What does it matter? Revenge the title? You ain't going to get the title. You got a better chance of being struck by lightning and getting this title. And revenge? That's like going elephant hunting with a fly swatter. Tatanto, you ain't got a chance at either one. So why should I be concerned, Jim Ross, whether it's revenge or the title it's motivating? You sound a little bit overconfident to me, and you're not going to have to get in the ring. Yokozuna is. No, there's a lot of people in New York City that are overconfident. Just ask uh, Dinkins and the new mayor, Ernest and Julio Gallo, whatever his name is. Uh, but I'll tell you one thing. Madison Square Garden, Monday night, January the 17th, brother. This ain't going nowhere, and neither is Yokozuna. But Tatanto is getting a one-way trip back to the reservation. And Tatanka here, he had six weeks off TV to get his shit together in the ring and on the mic. And instead, we get comments about medicine men. I wrote, really? Medicine men? Tatanka? It's good to see that his time off hasn't aided Tatanka in learning how to cut a promo. That's obvious. As we move on to WWF Mania, Todd Pengill. As it's time to reveal the winning decision of the vote line, apparently your votes make the decisions here now in the World Wrestling Federation, not President Jack Tunney. Todd Pengill then announces that with a 91% yes vote, that the Macho Man has been reinstated to WWF Mania. The Macho Man returns. And we spend much of this episode celebrating the return of the Macho Man in the studio. It's kind of funny. Remember, Macho started on Mania back in July. There was no real fanfare to it. He just started popping up every week, co-hosting the show. Then by the time they actually made an advertisement about the Macho Man joining Mania in the fall, he was gone from the show almost immediately. And we haven't seen him there since. And now here we go again. The Macho Man returns, even though he was gone for weeks before he was banned. The Macho Man returns this week. And I don't know that he ever returns again after this, so it makes absolutely no sense to me. But hey, your vote counted the Macho Man reinstated to WWF Mania. And we even get a special face-to-face here on Mania this week in light of the holidays 
Jim Ross interviews Santa Claus. You guys can find that promo up right now on youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. And we move on to WWF Wrestling Challenge, December 19th, tape November 30th, Springfield, Massachusetts at the Civic Center. We go back and once again see a clip of the Shawn Michaels attack on Razor Ramon, leaving him laying in the concrete. They also talk about IRS stealing the bad guy's gold, his necklaces. As Jim Ross and Gorilla Monsoon talk about the upcoming holidays, they talk about Christmas, Jim Ross pulls up a cowboy boot. Why, what's that? That's Mama Ross's version of a stocking, Gorilla. Jim Ross holds up a big cowboy boot given to him by Mama Ross, and that'll be where Santa will stuff his stocking. Meanwhile, Gorilla holds up a giant stocking for himself. We'll have to see what those are filled with next week on Wrestling Challenge. I'm in suspense, but for now, it's to the ring intercontinental champion Razor Ramon taking on Ralph Don't Call Me King Kong Mosca. It should be Angelo Don't Call Ralph King Kong Mosca. If you ask me, Razor, though, still missing the gold around his neck, and it's kind of obvious here as you're used to seeing the gold around the neck of Razor Ramon, and you know what he used to say. Something happens to that gold. Something's going to happen to you, Chico. So something is going to happen to IRS very soon. On commentary, Jim Ross announces once again it's IRS versus Razor at the Rumble as we get an insert promo from Ramon who promises to get his gold back from IRS. In the ring, it's a simple back superplex, not the Razor's Edge, but a back superplex. Off the top rope gets the win for the bad guy, 1 minute and 54 seconds. Post-match, however, Razor means business, drops the Razor's Edge on Mosca post-match here. And we're off to -to face-to-face New York Market, Madison Square Garden, January 17th, it's the Ludwig Borger-Rick Steiner match I was talking about, and we're going to hear from both sides. Yes, Jim, I'm looking to avenge my situation in Survivor Series. You know, the outcome of Survivor Series was one for the All-Americans, and that was a great thing. You see, Borger stands for all the things that we don't care about and we don't want to know. Finland, wherever you're from, who cares? It's in America, and I'm an American, and that's what I stand for. When we come to the Madison Square Garden, one of the greatest, probably the best arena you can wrestle in, the WWF. Well, boy, you come down to that ring, you come down to that ring, you come to the dog pound, boy, because you're going to find out one-on-one, this is what the Steiner brother, the dog-faced gremlin, is all about. Ooh, 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 I'll make you famous, boy. Well, I know that Rick Steiner is very excited about this matchup in Madison Square Garden. I've known him a long time. He'll be more than ready for this one. And when I talked to Mr. Borga earlier in the week, I simply asked him, what do you think about meeting the dog face in the garden? Let me tell you something, Jim Ross. What a build-up this is. The all-American wrestler Rick Steiner's in one of the biggest and best arenas in the United States. And what a place for me to finish all this American dream. I'm going to beat up Rick Steiner so bad, he don't even remember what college he went to. You know, a lot of people say at the Survivor Series that you were lucky to eliminate Rick Steiner. I know he hasn't forgotten the treatment you gave him at the Survivor Series not that long ago. Well, all those people who are saying that, they should rewind their tape and watch it all over again. Do you really believe you are a better man than Rick Steiner? No, I'm not only better, Jim Ross, I'm superior. Well, we'll find out at Madison Square Garden. That is right. And a fun little line there from Ludwig Borger. He's going to beat Rick Steiner so bad, he won't remember the college he went to. I wrote LOL. And this is kind of a Survivor Series revenge here. Is Ludwig Borger the man who eliminated Rick Steiner at the pay-per-view? But we go back to the ring tag team champion, Quebecers. Good to see Pierre back. 
with Johnny Polo in their corner, taking on a jacked-up Mark Thomas and Virgil. And clearly, drug-testing policies don't apply for the job, guys, because, oh my gosh, Mark Thomas looking jacked here. As Gorilla Monsoon on commentary even tells us to keep an eye on Mark Thomas, Gorilla knows what Vince likes. We get an insert promo from the Quebecers. What do they want for Christmas? Nothing. They already have the tag team titles. And Virgil, awful in this matchup, awful swinging neckbreaker as Pierre takes a bump seconds after Virgil lands. I wrote, ugh. Mark Thomas rushes in with a dropkick on Jacques. And Virgil, with his own shitty dropkick on Pierre, whose head bounces off the bottom rope as he takes the bump before the Quebecers regroup with Johnny Polo on the outside. Then back in the ring, it's Jacques with the backdrop on Pierre into the senton on Thomas. And then Jacques, Alabama slam into the Boston Crab. Pierre off the middle rope with the leg drop to the back of the head of Mark Thomas. Quebecers pick up the win, 2 minutes and 40 seconds. And we're off to special report with Lord Alfred Hayes. As we see clips from last week, Owen Hart's interview with Vince McMahon, where Owen lays out that challenge to his brother Brett for a match one-on-one. Bravo, Owen. Bravo, old boy. Spoken like a true man. A man who has matured. A man who is no longer his brother's keeper. There is no doubt that now Owen has shed his ungrateful family's shackles. The highest peaks of fame and glory are his for the taking. Now, earlier this week, we heard a maudling response from his humbled but still surly brother, Brett the Hitman Hart. Lord Alfred says bravo to Owen, and that he can now reach the highest peaks after being unshackled from his ungrateful family. All right, and then from there, we see Bret Hart's response to Owen's challenge from this past week's Superstars, where Bret refused to face his brother Owen as to not tear the family apart as we go back to the ring. It's time for Adam Bomb with Harvey Whippleman in his corner taking on Tom McNeeny. They can't even get his name right here. It's Tim McNeeny, but he's, he's Tom McNeeny apparently this week. First, Russ Greenberg becomes Ross Greenberg. Now, Tim McNeeny is Tom McNeeny. Though I guess you can take any McNeeny. It doesn't really matter. Early on, though, McNeeny with a sneaky schoolboy for a two count and a drop kick. From there, but Adam Bomb takes over with his own standing drop kick, sends McNeeny out to the floor before back inside. Slingshot clothesline is all it takes from Adam Bomb this week to pick up the win in just two minutes. And then we're off to Sparky Plug yet again with vignette number one. And to the ring once more, the one, two, three kid taking on the up-and-comer Brian Walsh. Walsh, a solid worker himself. Gorilla even refers to him as a young Bob Backlund. Interesting. At one point, Walsh gets the kid on the mat, and as he leans down to go after the kid, the kid kicks Walsh backwards over the top rope and out to the floor. Great bump by Brian Walsh here. Back inside, it's a spinning heel kick. Nearly takes Walsh's head off, but the kid misses a drop kick in the corner, lands on the back of his head. Brian Walsh then takes over into the top rope. But the kid, what height? The kid dropkick from the mat up into the air. The kid dropkicks Brian Walsh standing on the top rope, which crotches Walsh from there. And then the kid, and then the kid with a superplex before locking in the old Rito Romero special, the upside down surfboard. La Tapatia, if you will, gets the submission win this week. In one minute and 58 seconds, a replay shows the kid's shoulders were on the mat, to which Gorilla Monsoon points out the kid, he should have been pinned. Gorilla playing maybe a sneaky heel. Maybe not a heel, but definitely a stickler for the rules as once again, it's Merry Christmas from Santa Claus before we see the replay of The Undertaker and Paul Bear in the workshop building the new casket 
the double deep, double wide casket for Yokozuna at the Royal Rumble, and then back to the ring, Bam Bam Bigelow with main squeeze Luna Vachon taking on Tony Roy on challenge. Roy with a couple of drop kicks early on that send Bigelow through the ropes and to the floor. Tony Roy then with a Pescado over the top rope, dives out onto Bam Bam Bigelow. Are you kidding me? What is going on here? Bigelow, though, comes right back with a nasty clothesline, but when Bammer tries to suplex, it's Tony Roy who slides behind Bam Bam Bigelow and unloads with some tackles, stunning the big man before running into a Bam Bam Bigelow dropkick out of nowhere. Bigelow picks up the win with a dropkick, 1 minute and 34 seconds. It's interesting the format of the Bigelow squashes lately. Last several months, really everything after SummerSlam. Almost all of the job guys on the offense for nearly all of the match, and then Bigelow busts out like one random move and puts them away. It makes him dangerous, proving that he can put guys away with any move and any one move at that, yes. But selling to all of these job guys, it's a bit strange. We move on to the Royal Rumble report and then close out the show with the Smoking Guns take on the team of the Brooklyn Brawler and Barry Hardy. On commentary, Gorilla Monsoon actually calls out the Smoking Guns questions that they're actually from Texas based on the hats that they're wearing. Monsoon points out it's now the winter season. The Guns shouldn't be wearing these straw hats, but rather felt hats for the winter, says Gorilla. So Gorilla knows a little bit more about being Cowboys than maybe the Smoking Guns. And again, not really playing the heel, but Gorilla having a little fun with some of the wrestlers here on commentary. I know he wasn't a fan of this era, according to Jim Ross and some of the characters that were displayed and things of that nature. We get an insert promo during the show from the Guns, and all they want for Christmas is a tag team title shot. Well, earn it, guys. Some things have to be earned. And the finish sees Bart Gunn toss Hardy up into a powerbomb while Billy Gunn comes off the top rope with a diving elbow at the same time. Nice combo move. Bart's powerbomb into a Billy top rope elbow drop gets the win. Four minutes and 41 seconds. I wrote way too long. A nearly five-minute smoking gun squash. Just too much for me as we're off to face-to-face. The WWF headed back to Madison Square Garden January 17, 1994. The New York City Rumble and two of the 30 men involved in that particular Royal Rumble match are Crush and his arch enemy, the Macho Man. Now, we don't know all the participants in the Royal Rumble yet, but we do know that uh, Crush is in it and so is Randy Savage. We asked Crush for his thoughts about Savage being in this New York City Rumble. Does it concern me? No, it doesn't concern me. It surprises me that Macho Man Randy Savage would have the guts to even show his face in the same building as Crush after the beating that I gave him in the Meadowlands. I'll be surprised if he shows up. Actually, my game strategy's gonna be this. I'm gonna show to the World Wrestling Federation that I am by far the most superior wrestler. I'm gonna go through those wrestlers like a bunch of trailers in a trailer park, and I'm a tornado, brother. And I'm going to save you, Macho Man, for last. And last yeah. is going to be the worst, because I'm going to beat you so bad that nobody... Oh, very good. Well, there's no doubt Crush expects this to be a street fight. And when we talked to Randy Savage about it, I asked the Macho Man if Crush would be his sole focus in the New York City Rumble in the Garden on the 17th. Let me tell you something, Jim Ross. You gotta understand 
that that was just a taste, the tip of the iceberg in the Meadowlands were crushed. It's an undone type situation, and it needs to be finished. And if it's a New York City rumble that needs to be done, let's do it. Yeah, 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 let's do it. Let's do it in Madison Square Gardens. Let's do it at the Mecca of the whole world situation happening at this particular time. And crush, crush seems to be what makes me tick right now, yeah. Feeling young again, yeah. Feeling like I'll pound you all the way down. And I know I got other guys in the ring, but priority one is going to be to take you out, yeah. And then I'm going to win the New York City Rumble. Take it. Crush, crush. Garbage Fuji. And that closes out challenges. We move on to All-American for December 19th. Vince McMahon once again rolling solo. And this week, Vince with an exclusive interview with WWE President Jack Tunney. As we learn, Jim Cornette has met with Tunney about Lex Luger participating or not participating in the Royal Rumble match. I wrote, awful as usual. Tunney repeating himself more than once in this interview with McMahon. It looks like they did two different takes. And once again, like we've seen before, spliced them together. Tunney answering some of Vince's questions with the same answer repeatedly. Jack Tunney, as for the decision to let Lex Luger in the Royal Rumble, Tunney informs us he's still thinking things over. As we go to our All-American exclusive match, it's Bam Bam Bigelow and the Head Shrinkers teaming up yet again. Man, these guys have really been on a roll since the summer. We saw them in a six-man on All-American in the summer. We saw them in a six-man at SummerSlam. And we saw all three of them team up, which I want to forget about, at the Survivor Series against all of those doinks. But here, Bigelow and the Head Shrinkers over the team of the Smoking Guns and the 1-2-3 Kids, 6 minutes and 12 seconds, when Bigelow pins the 1-2-3 Kid, Kid launching himself off the top rope. Bigelow turns it into a power slam to pick up the win there. That was taped back in Utica on December 1st. And this episode of All-American is Fatu-mania, because not only do we get the six-man with Bammer and the Head Shrinkers, but we also see a replay of Macho Man versus Fatu from Monday Night Raw. And as we close out this episode of All-American, Vince Schill's what to expect next week on All-American, but not a single mention of the Women's Championship title finals, which is scheduled to air next week on All-American. So Vince has no problem shilling some of the replays from the upcoming matches on Raw, but not a single mention of the Women's title tournament match. Things bode well for Miss Alundra Blaze here in the WWF. As we move on to Monday Night Raw, December 20th, 1993, taped back November 29th, White Plains, New York, it would appear. As we see highlights from two months ago, it was Ludwig Borga first defeating the undefeated Native American Tatanka. Then it was Yokozuna and Ludwig Borga who took Tatanka out for six weeks here on TV. But tonight, not only has Tatanka returned to the WWF, but he gets another chance, this time at revenge against Ludwig Borga in their rematch. And we go to a Tatanka promo complete with the black background setting. Tatanka is not coming to beat Borga tonight, but to destroy him. And he's coming for revenge. Just awful stuff here from Tatanka. As we kick things off, it is Vince McMahon ringside, and he introduces guest color commentator, the heartbreak kid, the self-professed, undisputed Intercontinental Champion, Shawn Michaels, out for commentary here this week. And we go right to the ring. It's Double J, Jeff Jarrett, making his Raw debut, taking on PJ Walker. Now that's more like it. Jarrett decked out in all white. In fact, it looks like he's borrowed some of Marty Jannetty's costume from Royal Rumble 93. Jarrett has dropped the Fargo strut walking to the ring. However, he saves it for the match. Wise move there by Double J. And Jarrett just owns this match much better than the Chris Duffy match on Superstars. Once again, the jumping DDT gets the win. Four minutes, six seconds. And vote now, guys. 
Should Jack Tunney allow Lex Luger into the Royal Rumble? That's our latest 900 scam. I'm sorry, vote line of the week. And back to the ring. Oh, yeah. Men on a mission with Oscar in their corner, taking on the familiar team of Dwayne Gill and Barry Hardy as it's Santa Mom. It's Mo, Oscar, and Mabel all rocking Santa hats. Oscar, the fucking dork as usual here, as Hardy and Gill try a double team on Mabel, but they get rammed together for their troubles. And Mabel with an impressive double bulldog on both Gill and Hardy. Mabel is just badass here. But then the usual happens. Unky Mo gets tagged in, and we get some of Uncle Mo's generic offense. Before we move into Mo landing an inverted DDT on Hardy and Mabel, then off the middle rope with a big splash this week. Ugh, I'd hate to be Barry Hardy. Looking up at that from the mat, seeing Mabel coming down, 500 pounds crashing down on top of me. As you can imagine, men on a mission pick up the win, four minutes and 25 seconds. We're off to the Royal Rumble report before we get a quick promo from Ludwig Borga. As he says, the last time he put Tatanka in the hospital, this time he's going to stay there. I can only imagine Vince McMahon sitting there at ringside going, hospital, did he say hospital, damn it? It's medical facility, pal. And we're off to the ring for the big rematch, the Native American Tatanka. Scheduled to take on Ludwig Borga here, Tatanka's revenge as he comes to the ring with hot fire. He spits hot fire here. Does Tatanka as he attacks Ludwig Borga right out of the gate, kicks and chops galore, send Borga out to the floor. And pretty cool stuff here is Tatanka follows Borga to the outside, not going to let him get away. And the Native American sends Borga into the steel post. But back inside, Ludwig tries some offense of his own, but we get the immediate war dance almost right out of the gate by Tatanka here, and a chop fest ensues, and Borga even bumping for Tatanka here. So Tatanka did the job for Borga. Ludwig doing the right thing here, taking bumps for Tatanka. I can't believe I'm saying that, but let's face it. Borga is not a big guy on taking bumps. We've seen him do it for Scott Steiner. He didn't really have a choice. And a little bit for Lex Luger. Outside of that, not a whole lot. And as the Native American goes on the war dance with his chop fest, it's to the top rope and off the top rope. Tatanka launches on top of Borga with a top rope body block for a near fall. But Borga finally takes over after smashing Tatanka with a flying lariat. Ludwig then works Tatanka over briefly before nailing a stinger splash in the corner. Borga had a nice stinger splash, almost horizontal in delivery. Tatanka tries his own Hulk up, but runs into a Borga power slam. Ludwig tries to follow up with an elbow, but misses, and Tatanka again makes a comeback with a trifecta of clotheslines. Borga is rocked, but here comes Mr. Fuji. And Yokozuna, again? No, not again. Tatanka with a power slam on Borga in the ring, and he goes back to the top rope. But Yokozuna distracts referee Earl Hebner while Mr. Fuji nails Tatanka with a flagpole, sending the Native American off the top rope and back into the ring. And then Yokozuna wastes no time coming into the ring as Earl Hebner calls for the bell immediately before contact is even made. Tatanka will get the win on disqualification in just four minutes and 44 seconds, and that's when you know it's angle time, guys, because we really didn't get much of a match here. Yokozuna comes in after Tatanka, but Tatanka fights back, chopping away on Zuna. That is until Ludwig Borga from behind. Are we going to see the same thing again? Are Borga and Yokozuna going to take Tatanka out permanently this time? No! It's the American original, Lex Luger, immediately out to make the save as Luger bumps Borga out to the floor and the big steel-plated forearm to the head of Yokozuna. And yes, yes, yes! Lex Luger slams Yokozuna! We haven't seen it since SummerSlam, but he can still do it here. In December, Yokozuna reminded that Lex Luger has his number slamming the big man. 
in the center of the ring as Lex Luger single-handedly clears the ring of both Yokozuna and Ludwig Borga, a reminder of the summer feud and what Luger could have been, as it seems like Borga versus Tatanka now scheduled to continue, and Luger may be sliding back into a program with Yokozuna somewhere down the line. We'll have to wait and see what that's all about. Actually, we won't see here on the grenade, at least no time in the near future. But as I noted earlier, Ludwig Borga is finished, and that's with two ends. Get it? Finished? Uh, he is Finland? Finished? You know what I mean. Ludwig Borga finished before the Royal Rumble when he suffers that ankle injury at MSG against Rick Steiner. But it also appears to me anyway, and you guys make your own judgment, go back and watch this match. Ludwig Borga is starting to let himself go a little bit, a little bit, get a little bit out of shape. And Bruce Pritchard has went on to say in his podcast that Ludwig Borga kind of checked out physically, staying in shape after the ankle injury in January as it was when he was set to come back initially prior to WrestleMania. He was supposed to wrestle Earthquake at WrestleMania 10. For those who don't remember, it winds up being Adam Bomb. Borga was the original announcement as the opponent for Earthquake at WrestleMania 10, but he really wasn't feeling it. He was kind of homesick, and he was out of shape, according to Bruce Pritchard as well. And it may have started here long before the ankle injury. Ludwig Borga still looking like a badass, but maybe, maybe not in the shape he was in when he made his debut in the summer. So a fun little angle there involving Tatanka, Ludwig Borga, Yokozuna, and then Lex Luger making the save there. As Captain Lou Albano once again introduced to the fans here, and Shawn Michaels asks the obvious question, for what? Good question, HBK. As we continue on with Adam Bomb Harvey Whippleman in his corner taking on big jacked up Mark Thomas, though not nearly as big as Adam Bomb. Albano, though, prior to the match, he stays in the ring, shakes the hand of young Mark Thomas, walks over to shake the hand of both Bomb and Harvey Whippleman, but instead gets backed into a corner. Lou Albano may want to rethink things here, but he does leave the ring unscathed. Adam Bomb gets the win with the Adam Smasher Power Bomb, just one minute and 41 seconds. We see Sparky Pug. He was a NASCAR driver, if you guys remember, on Superstars. Vince McMahon corrects himself here on Raw, referring to Sparky Plug, Thurman Sparky Plug, as a stock car driver. Raw continues on. We get highlights of Owen Hart challenging the Hitman, as well as Bret Hart declining that challenge this past week on Superstars. And then it's to the ring with the Rocket Owen Hart taking on Mike Bell. Owen, once again, gives away a pair of the Hitman-style Bret Hart shades to one of the young fans at ringside. Owen Hart attempts a flying head scissors, but Bell botches it, lands right on his head. Vince McMahon covers it up, exclaiming that Owen is, uh, well, I guess you could call him an innovator of offense here, as Vince McMahon describes it as a head scissors into a DDT. What will Owen come up with next? But it is a belly-to-belly suplex into Bret's finisher. Owen now using the sharpshooter, interesting, to get the win here in 2 minutes and 10 seconds. As we once again see the Undertaker's workshop, he continues to build that double-wide, double-deep casket for Yokozuna in the Royal Rumble, so it's back to the ring with Afa managing his head shrinkers, taking on the team of Phil Apollo and Jerry Seavey. Apollo immediately dumped out of the ring as Seavey screws up repeatedly early in the match and pays for it with a Samu spinning thrust kick that nearly takes his face off. Samu then with a nasty-looking powerbomb and then the Head Shrinkers double-team poor CV for his troubles, double face buster, and I mean they drive his face down into the mat before Fatu off the top rope, diving splash, gets the win in just three minutes and three seconds, and then they kick poor CV to the floor. And next week we learn it'll be the Quebecers on commentary, our final Raw of 1993, Jacques and Pierre will join Vince McMahon as guest commentators next week, as well as Lex Luger 
stepping into the ring. Finally, in a squash match, Lex Luger, his second match on TV since he turned face back on July 4th. I'm not shitting you guys. Also next week, it'll be the in-ring debut of Johnny Polo, manager Johnny Polo, scheduled to take on Marty Jannetty. Plus, we'll see highlights of the finals of the women's title tournament as Alundra Blaze scheduled to take on Heidi Lee Morgan. And I wrote, what the fuck is the point? Highlights? Really, guys? As we head into the home stretch, our final weekend of WWF TV here in 1993, and it all starts off with our final superstars of 93, December 25th, Christmas Day. Tape back December 1st, Utica, New York. Merry Christmas, everyone. As we see Vince McMahon and Stan Lane greet us, we learn that the Hart Family Clan are back together again. Up on the video wall, Vince McMahon introduces Brett and Owen Hart, who have seemed to have made up over the holidays. They've worked out their issues. And now the duo have a tag team title match scheduled against the Quebecers at the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. Hey, uh, you know, I, I'll be the first one to admit there was a lot of friction between Owen and I. I know that, and I'm not going to deny that. But the fact is, I knew this was tearing up the family, and I knew that Owen and I had to sit down and we had to resolve this thing, and that's exactly what we've done. You know, maybe I'm never going to find out who was a better wrestler. Actually, I feel a lot better about it. I didn't want to fight my brother Owen. I knew we could channel our energy in a better direction, and that direction is against the Quebecers, and we are going to win the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team titles as a unit. United we stand. Divided we fall, right, Owen? Well, you know, that's right, Brett. I know after Survivor Series, I said some things that I probably shouldn't have said. It doesn't matter if they were true or not. It really doesn't matter. Because 1994 is going to be our year. The rocket is going to be taken off, and I'm going to have my brother Brett there right behind me. And the Quebecers, we're coming after you. We're gunning for those World Tag Team Championships. And with my brother Brett and the rocket leading the way, you're going to be hitched right behind me, Brett. And we're going to get those belts, and we're going to make 1994 a memorable year for the rocket and for the hitman, too. All right, thank you very much for joining us, gentlemen. Brett couldn't be happier as Owen says 1994 is the year of the rocket with his brother Brett right behind him. Owen goes on to say the rocket will be leading the way with his brother Brett hitched right behind him. 1994, a memorable year for the rocket and the hitman too. Subtle hints there, maybe not so subtle hints of what's to come. Great little promo there by Owen Hart as he foreshadows what we'll see at the Royal Rumble. But for now, it appears Owen Hart, Bret Hart, back together again on the same page for the time being. And it's off to the ring. HBK, Shawn Michaels, the undisputed Intercontinental Champion, at least in his eyes, taking on Phil Apollo. Vince claims that Phil Apollo was a power lifter in the Air Force as we continue these interesting new jobber tidbits. Shawn Michaels dominates the match early on, but Apollo makes the comeback. Shawn eventually ends that with a Russian leg sweep out of nowhere. So first Virgil uses it, the hitman takes it back, and now Shawn even using the Russian leg sweep. Poor Virgil. As Shawn lays Phil Apollo out, he climbs up the ropes backwards. What's a moonsault? No, Shawn Michaels with a reversed flying fist drop ends the match in two minutes and 59 seconds. Interesting finish there by HBK, trying to move away from that pile driver, and I don't really blame him, never really suited him. As we're on to face-to-face in the Peacock, talking all about the Royal Rumble, one of the matches upcoming, Razor Ramon defending his Intercontinental title against IRS. Here we hear from both sides. Now, we know that there's a lot of uh, allegations flying regarding uh, uh, the whereabouts of Razor Ramon's gold. Many people suspect 
that it could be found, perhaps, inside the metal briefcase of Erwin R. Scheister. A lot of bad blood here. And when I talked to Razor earlier in the week, I told him that this one is shaping up kind of like a brawl. A brawl, Mr. Ross? I certainly hope so. Your tax man, you want to fight with Razor Ramon, Chico? Is there any way I can trick you into trying? You rip me off, Chico. Everybody knows it. You steal gold from around my neck. Okay. This time, Chico, Royal Rumble. The big time. WWF style. This time, Chico, the big gold is on the line. Certainly seems that Razor is ready for a fight. I really believe that's what it's going to be, ladies and gentlemen. And when I talked to IRS earlier, I asked him what he thought about the allegations that he was a thief. He was the man that stole Razor's gold. I'm appalled. That's preposterous that I've stolen Cheesemo's gold. What do I want with that? So you're saying that you are innocent. I am innocent. But I will tell you this. Razor Ramon, you've gone to great lengths to embarrass me on worldwide television every opportunity you've gotten. But that's okay. I can take it. I'm a big boy. But you're going to find out, Razor Ramon, you can only cross IRS so many times, and then the hammer comes down, and you pay heavily. You look at this as a classic match from a technical wrestler standpoint against a street fighter. Is that your strategy? That is my strategy, Jim Ross, because I'm much smarter than Razor Ramon, and I'll prove it when I take the Intercontinental Championship. Good stuff there, and once again, IRS unintentionally funny. Preposterous that IRS would steal Cheesemo's gold, referring to Razor Ramon as Cheesemo. I wrote LMAO. It did make me chuckle. But IRS has stolen the gold around Razor's neck at this point, and Razor wants it back. But in order to get it back, he's going to have to give IRS Irwin an intercontinental title match at the Royal Rumble. And this week in the New York market, there was no superstars because of Christmas Day. However, there was superstars airing in Boston. Heading back to the Boston market, no, not the restaurant, but heading back to the Boston market January 29th, it's the return after the Survivor Series. Remember, we saw the Survivor Series at the Boston Gardens. Well, we return here to Boston in January, and we saw this unfold on Raw. We're going to get a main event tag team match of Lex Luger teaming with Tatanka to take on the team of Ludwig Borga and Yokozuna. Here's Jim Cornette on the match. Yeah, I think we are apprehensive. As a matter of fact, I would say that we're more nervous about this than we ever have been about anything because, well, you know, Jim Ross, I, I know you know from personal experience, don't you hate to be humiliated in public? Don't you hate to be made a fool of? Certainly it's happened to you many times, right? Well, it hasn't happened that often, but yes, I, I, I could identify with that. Well, you see, the problem with Tatanka and Lex Luger is they're coming after Borga and Yokozuna, and they have been humiliated in public so many times. Luger won it all summer to win the World Wrestling Federation title. He got his one chance and one chance only, and he blew it. He couldn't do it. And then Tatanto, he was put out of action at the hands of Yokozuna and Ludwig Borga, and he was humiliated, embarrassed in front of all his fans, but all his friends. But it took two of them. It took two of them. No, it, it didn't take two, two of them. They just took turns. They were both having fun. They're friends, and neither one could deny the other the pleasant experience of taking that red skin and breaking him in half. But now, you see, when you've been humiliated in public, been embarrassed, taking all your self-respect and all your self-esteem and have it ripped from you, then sure, you come back wanting revenge. That's going to make them a little bit tougher than they normally are. 
But I guarantee you one thing. If Ludwig Borga don't break their back, <laughs> then Yokozuna will crush them flatter than a pancake. And Luger, I know we're going to be looking for you especially because I know you've still got a few tricks up your sleeve. But if we eliminate you in this match, then we'll never have to worry about you again. As for Tatanto, do a war dance, fella. Might help. All right, and some fun there with Jim Ross telling Cornette it took two guys to take out Tatanka. Cornette corrects him. It didn't take two guys. They just took turns. I wrote LOL. Good stuff there as always by Jim Cornette. And next week on Superstars, guys, it'll be Lex Luger taking on Jacques Rougeau. So Luger finally starting to wrestle on TV. However, we won't see this. And lucky us. Remember, this is the match they had to tape twice in order to make it look good enough to air on TV next week. Luger obviously going to go over there on Jacques Rougeau. But it is back to the ring here. Men on a mission with Oscar in their corner, taking on the team of Mike Bell and Iron Mike Sharp. You have to imagine yet again, one of the Mikes are going to lose. Another basic men on a mission squash as Uncle Mo whips Bell into Mabel's spinning heel kick. This time, men on a mission get the win, two minutes and 56 seconds. And it's almost as if Mo isn't even there anymore, but they need two guys in order to make this a tag team. So they use Mo as kind of like the relief pitcher. We are then treated to highlights of the Ludwig Borga Tatanka match from Raw, eventually Yokozuna getting involved before Luger clearing house there. We also learn on next week's episode of Raw, it's going to be Marty Jannetty taking on Johnny Polo as Vince McMahon refers to Polo as an accomplished wrestler all of a sudden. So he debuts as a manager like back in May and all of a sudden here in December, Vince McMahon acknowledging that Johnny Polo has wrestled before. He's an accomplished wrestler, something they've never even touched on until this point in time. And we go back to the ring. Adam Baum with Harvey Whippleman in his corner taking on Brian Walsh as the Dean of Destruction. Ugh. Lands a double choke bomb early on. But Walsh fights back with a drop kick that rocks bomb. Walsh off the top rope of the cross body, but Adam Bomb catches him into a power slam, and the Adam Smasher power bomb gets the win two minutes and 40 seconds. And up next, a vignette of a newcomer coming to the World Wrestling Federation. No, it's not Sparky Plug. We get a vignette of Quang, Quang the Ninja, making his way to the World Wrestling Federation. Quang's very first vignette here, but you know. You're in trouble when the owner of the company refers to your character as scheduled up next is sort of a ninja type karate character. I think his name is Quang. Scheduled up next is sort of a right there off the rails and then refers to him as a ninja type karate character. Well, which one is it, Vince? A ninja type karate character. Vince McMahon has no idea. Really going to get you over here. And the vignette itself does, Quang, no favors either. We get some generic karate stances. Though as Quang leaps in the air, we do see early Quang was supposed to wrestle in bare feet, it would appear here, which might have added to the character at least a little bit. Remember the TNT tryouts earlier this summer that was Savio Vega's character in Puerto Rico for Carlos Colon's World Wrestling Council? Remember he got that tryout earlier this summer thanks to good buddy Razor Ramon. Scott Hall had worked the Puerto Rico territory in 1990, 1991, prior to the Diamond Stud character. It's really where I feel Hall finally find his niche as a wrestler. Maybe not, maybe not the Ramon character, maybe not even the Diamond Stud look, but he got his swag on down there in Puerto Rico and also found this Razor Ramon style of moveset. It's actually where he developed the Razor's Edge down in Puerto Rico. But nevertheless, made friends with TNT, who would eventually become Savio Vega after the Quang time frame, but story goes that TNT got the tryout in the summer, didn't hear anything for months, and finally called up Pat Patterson and said, hey, you guys got anything for me? And, and within a matter of days, Quang was born. 
But at least we eventually get Savio Vega out of all of this mess. As we move on with Doink the Clown, Dink in his corner taking on Reno Riggins this week as honorary, not guest, honorary ring announcer David Vaughn introduces the participants for this match as Vince McMahon points out that Dink obviously can't be in the Royal Rumble. Stan Lane replies, yeah, because he'd get stepped on. I wrote, oof, Dink can't be in the Royal Rumble. Why is that, Vince? Also during this match, Stan Lane says that Reno Riggins was a national roller skating champion at age 14. I wrote, is this shit real? As they continue to put over the jobber's background, you can't make this shit up, or, or maybe you can. I have no idea. Dink won't get off the fucking apron for the entire match, honking his horn. I wrote, go away. Thank God they dropped this, and Dink eventually forced to stand at ringside. These early matches a Doink. Dink all over the apron and in your face. Just absolutely terrible shit as Doink with a double underhook suplex. But Reno comes back, busts out a dropkick and a handspring elbow into the corner. Reno Riggins might win this. No. Doink with an arm captured German suplex. I don't think he meant to do it, but he captures both of Reno's arms in a waist lock and then drills him backwards into a German suplex before the whoopee cushion gets the win. Two minutes and 47 seconds. We're off to the Royal Rumble report. A new update. As we hear once again from Paul Bearer in the Undertaker's workshop. Plus Todd Pettengill interviews Jim Cornette on the telephone. Cornette says that Paul Bearer and Jack Tunney are conspiring to get the belt off of Yokozuna by tampering with the contract for the match. Cornette refuses to take the blame for the quote-unquote gross mismanagement leading into the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. Like it or not, Yokozuna going to have to defend that WWF title in a casket match at the Royal Rumble. And speaking of the casket match, other matches on the card include the Intercontinental title match. We also know now the tag team title match. Brett and Owen Hart going after the Quebecers tag team titles. All three titles on the line and a fourth match. Now added to the show, the Native American Tatanka will again get his chance to exact some revenge against Ludwig Borga. Now I've already mentioned this match doesn't take place. Borga injures his ankle just days before the pay-per-view. Bam Bam Bigelow, they call an audible and slide Bam Bam in there. Hey, he was the last guy to feud with Tatanka, and it was a decent little match to open the pay-per-view. Tatanka will end up getting the win over Bammer at the Rumble 94 opener. But all five matches now announced, all three title matches, Tatanka and Borga, and of course the Royal Rumble match itself. We heard nine names announced last week. Well, here's nine more for the fray. Eighteen men now announced for the Royal Rumble, and the new nine include Adam Baum, the one, two, three kid, Bam Bam Bigelow, Rick Steiner, so now both Steiners in the match, as well as Fatu and Samu, the head shrinkers, Bob Backlund. Hey, think about what he did at Royal Rumble 93. Plus, Greg the Hammer Valentine makes his WWF return. Well, he actually returned as one of the knights at the Survivor Series, and I'm surprised after watching him at the Survivor Series, Valentine given another chance here, but Greg Valentine announced his part of this Royal Rumble match, as well as the Macho Man Randy Savage. 18 names announced. Unfortunately, we won't get to the final 12, but I'll let the cat out of the bag. Lex Luger, one of those 12. In fact, Cornette and Fuji so upset they hire a couple of henchmen from Japan in Tenru and the Great Kabuki to be added to this Royal Rumble match. Their main goal is simply to eliminate Luger from winning the Royal Rumble. So that's three more names you guys are made aware of here. But that's not announced this week. Only 18 names announced as we close out 1993. And I thought it was funny as we get the pictures on the screen of all the different wrestlers involved in the match. When they show Fatu's picture, it says Samu. When they show Samu's picture, it says Fatu, so they got the wrong names with the wrong guys, and they've been here for quite a while now. No excuse for that, but I guess as a tag team, it's all interchangeable to Vince McMahon. And still, remember though, 
Lex Luger has still not been permitted at this point to join the Royal Rumble match. And we go back to the ring. IRS to the ring to take on Ralph Mosca. And Irwin attacks Mosca, sends him out to the floor early. But Mosca reverses a whip into the steel post and IRS is out cold on the floor. Mosca could win this thing. But rather than try to get the win over the out cold Irwin R. Scheister on the outside, Mosca rolls inside the ring and grabs the briefcase. He's no idiot. He knows what's inside that briefcase. Mosca shakes and tries to figure out how to open Irwin's Halliburton. Hey, Mosca wants to steal Razor's gold. I wrote LOL. It was kind of funny to watch this job guy. He lays IRS out cold, realizes he's accidentally done so, and his immediate thought is, I got to get in the ring and steal this gold. He goes in there, he shakes the briefcase. He's trying to figure out how to open it, but IRS is back up in time and attacks Mosca from behind. And now the match starts. So all that happened before the bell, it would seem. IRS takes over with the typical abdominal stretch and a clothesline before a butterfly superplex ends this thing. Old school Mike Rotunda here getting the win. In just one minute and three seconds, poor Ralph Mosca unable to steal the Razor's gold. Now, whether he was going to return it to Ramon, whether he was going to keep it for himself, it's hard to say, but he never got his hands on it either way. And we're off to -to face-to-face in the Peacock as we talk all about the Royal Rumble, Crush Crush talks about potentially getting revenge on the Macho Man during the 30-man match. And Randy Savage responds. But we now know that Macho Man Randy Savage and his uh, former best friend Crush are both going to be in the Royal Rumble. I talked to Crush moments ago and, and asked him uh, what his thoughts were about the WWF Royal Rumble now that Savage was in. What are my thoughts, Jim oh. Ross? This is the greatest thing yeah. that's ever happened to yeah. Crush. That's right. Yeah. For Macho Man to be in a Royal Rumble is like a late Christmas present. <sighs> Macho Man Randy Savage. I've been talking about on the biggest, baddest, and toughest man in the World Wrestling Federation. And I told everybody I'm going to prove it in a Royal Rumble. Oh. In fact, I'm going to save you for last. Oh, good thing. I'm going to single-handedly mess up Fuji. Yes. Take yes. each one of those guys yes. and throw them out oh. right on top of their heads. <laughs> I'm going to save you for last, Macho yes. Man. Yes. Because yes. what me yes. and Master Fuji yes. have in store for yes. you is so brutal, brother. Uh. I can't even say it on TV. Oh. Macho Man, I can't wait to get my hands on you. Good, good. Obviously, Crush is really looking forward to meeting the Macho Man in any environment, especially the WWF Royal Rumble. And when I talked to Randy moments ago, I asked him if his motivation was to win the WWF Royal Rumble or to get revenge. Yeah, I got a lot of motivations, yeah. I got priority one and priority one, yeah. Priority one is to take Crush and to, uh, yeah, do the thing on him like I want to do, yeah. But that's not going to stop me from winning the Royal Rumble, yeah. No excuses, because I'm going all the way. I'm going all the way, and I'm going to win the Royal Rumble. I'm not going to let an idiot, yeah, like you, Crush, yeah, stop me from doing my thing, yeah. My hat's back into the ring, out of retirement, doing the thing like the macho man can do, yeah. Crush, crush is the new theme of the 90s, yeah. The Royal Rumble, I'm going to win it, and crush is going to be crushed. All right, fun stuff there from both sides. Crush, of, of course, announced with the first nine participants in the Rumble. Randy Savage announced this week, Crush finds out and then says he's going to save the macho man for less, brother. And I had to laugh at Mr. Fuji saying, good thinking. Good thinking, boy, son. Crush planning to save the Macho Man for last. Now, he doesn't keep his word, but he is a heel, so 
can't hold that against him. Macho Man then responds, says, priority number one is Crush, and priority number one is winning the Rumble. So a 1A and a 1B. Macho Man says, I don't have one priority. I have two priorities, and they're both number one. And only the Macho Man could make that make sense. As we're off to face-to-face once again, talking about the upcoming Boston show, January 29th, and once again, the Macho Man Randy Savage scheduled to take on Crush there in a two-out-of-three-falls falls-count-anywhere match. As JR asks Crush if he's concerned about the rules of the match. Concerned about the hazards, Jim Ross. What, are you kidding, brother? This is the best news I've had yet. Great. Macho Man, this means I can take you out of the ring. Good. Into the bleachers, into the chairs, into those moron fans of yours. Uh It doesn't matter, brother. Me and Master Fuji, that's right, Master Fuji has instructed me to take you and take you from one end of that building to the other. All four corners. And I'm not going to pin you right away. Even though I can, I'm going to make you suffer. And make you suffer for sticking the knife in my back. And your worst, worst nightmare is going to come true. (laughs) You know, when you stop and think about it, both men are putting their careers on the line when you talk about falls counting anywhere in the arena. It's got to concern you. And that's exactly what I asked Randy Savage earlier in the week. Are you concerned? Well, yeah, I'm concerned. But you got to understand, Jim Ross, I'm a survivor, yeah. And when the bell rings, I turn on the switch inside my body, yeah. And it's electric. you got to understand about the way that I am, yeah. And what Crush has done, yeah. And uh, he has, uh, yeah, set the standards for the way things are. And you're talking about falls counting all over the building. Haven't we already done that? But we can take it to a different level, and that's what I want to do, yeah! And if he shows up, if he shows up, two out of three falls, falls count over the building, I can promise the fans something. It's going to be the wildest thing you've ever seen, yeah, and the wildest thing that I've ever been a part of. I've been a part of some wild stuff, but Crush, Crush, here's the theme, yeah! And Crush doesn't sound all too worried about wrestling the Macho Man in a two out of three falls count anywhere match. Obviously, they're trying some things out. Prior to their WrestleMania 10 Falls Count Anywhere match here, two out of three falls, very interesting. As we close out our final episode of Superstars here in 1993, next week it's Lex Luger scheduled to take on Jacques of the Quebecers. Here are closing promos from both men. Lex Luger, right here next week. Revenge is on our minds. Lex Luger, we've been waiting for this for a long time. We're coming prepared this time. And what you did to Pierre... You're not gonna do to me. You'll see. You just wait and see. Right here next week, I have the rare opportunity to meet the other half of the WWF Tag Team Champions, Jacques. Now, Jacques, you already witnessed what happened to Pierre when he stepped in the ring with Lex Luger. Now you get to see firsthand for yourself and see what Made in America is all about. All right, and the show rolls on. WWF Mania for Christmas Day, December 25th. Todd Pettengill hosting. The Macho Man was reinstated last week, but guess what? No Macho Man this week, so that really made all the sense in the world. Todd Pettengill hosting alone, so we move on to Wrestling Challenge, our final Wrestling Challenge of 93, December 26th, taped November 30th, Springfield, Massachusetts. Jim Ross and Gorilla Monsoon on commentary. Hey, remember last week they held up their stockings? Well, let's see what Santa filled them with this week. 
As it appears, Santa Claus did come for both Gorilla and JR. Gorilla's stocking is filled with bananas, of course. JR holds up his cowboy boot filled with both candy canes and Slim Jims. Need a little excitement, JR? Snap into a Slim Jim. Hey, easy advertising. Mm, yeah, says the Macho Man as we head to the ring. The Steiner Brothers taking on the team of Mike Bell and the Executioner as we get another jobber backstory here. This week, as apparently Bell, Mike Bell, spent nine years playing organized baseball, is what Gorilla calls it. He's also a former bartender and bouncer, is Mike Bell. Early on, Scotty with an overhead belly-to-belly on Bell as the job guys try to double-team Rick in the corner, but he fights back, fights his way free, and a Steiner line sends Mike Bell down before the executioner finally tags in. Rick then nails a -a tilt-a-whirl slam on the executioner before Scott Steiner tags in and nearly loses the executioner in a press slam. Simply didn't have him balanced up there, and Scott Steiner actually literally walks around the ring holding the executioner over his head, trying to catch balance, and finally does before tossing the executioner. Awesome strength by Scott Steiner. Not that I need to tell you that. And it's the Tiger Bomb followed by the Frankensteiner on the executioner. The Steiners get the win. Three minutes and 51 seconds. I wrote, it would be pretty cool if the Hart Brothers had won the titles at the Royal Rumble and went on to face the Steiners at WrestleMania. Pretty damn cool match there. Or if the Steiners had won the belts prior to Rumble and wound up having to face the Hearts at the Rumble match. Either way, it would have been a cool deal to see the Hearts and the Steiners on pay-per-view. As we're off to our final special report with Lord Alfred Hayes as he talks about Owen and Bret Hart reuniting for their tag team title shot at the Royal Rumble, we then hear a promo from the Hitman and Owen. Hello, everyone. Here is this week's special report. As the eventful day of the annual WWF Royal Rumble rapidly approaches, the tension between the principal contenders continues a dramatic increase in tempo. However, one particular officially confirmed match has overwhelmed me with amazement and a ghastly feeling of betrayal. Remember how Owen Hart had suddenly come to his senses? About the big brother tactics employed by his jealous elder sibling, Brett? You do? Well then, just look at this. Everybody can relax, because the Hart Brothers, the Hitman and the Rocket, we are back together, everything is fine, and we have buried the hatchet. And we have got one thing in mind, and that is to take the Quebecers and win the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team titles at the Royal Rumble, as a family, as brothers. Right, Owen? That's right. We're going to bury the hatchet. Everything is behind us now. I'm so happy we're back together. It doesn't matter what happened at Survivor Series. It doesn't even matter who was right or wrong. But Quebecers, we're coming after you. We're going to get the gold. We're going to be number one. And Brett, I want you to watch my match tonight when I step into the ring. Wouldn't miss it. I am absolutely appalled by the stupid gullibility and the naive innocence of Owen the Rocket Heart. Of course, the dazzling prize of becoming a WWF Tag Team Champion has blinded him to the evil greed of Big Brother Brett, who will surely once again use him as a sacrificial lamb. Oh dear, how could he be so easily duped? Well, therein lies the incredible news. The two superstars, Brett and Owen Hart, will team up 
and go against the gallant French-Canadian team, the Quebecers, for their tag team title at the WWF Royal Rumble. However, one must question the heart's ability in crucial teamwork after what we all witnessed at the Survivor Series. For special report, I am Lord Alfred Hayes. And I keep saying it, but I have to. Lord Alfred Hayes is fucking gold. He is appalled at the stupid gullibility and the naive innocence of Owen Hart as the tag team titles are blinding Owen of the evil greed of Brother Brett. How can Owen be so easily duped? I wrote, that was awesome. Alfred Hayes, heel Alfred Hayes, so awesome. Sad to see him go. This is the end of Alfred Hayes here in 1993 as we go back to the ring. Crush with Master Fuji in his corner taking on Mike Davis. And Crush finally now has theme music, if you want to call it that, as the crowd breaks out in a Fuji sucks chant. Don't really hear that very often. And it causes Crush to miss a charge into the corner. Davis comes back with a pair of drop kicks on Crush. Has the man from Kona, Hawaii rocked up against the ropes, but Crush comes back with a thrust kick and a press slam before the Tour of the Islands, the Tilt-A-Roll backbreaker, gets the win in just three minutes and 20 seconds. Post-match, Crush locks in the cranium crunch for good measure on poor Mike Davis, and we're off to -to face-to-face New York City, Madison Square Garden, January 17th. It's the New York City Rumble Show, and also on that card, IC champ Razor Ramon scheduled to defend his title against Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Well, Mr. Ross, speed and quickness maybe help him if it's a track meet. But in Madison Square Garden, the people, they don't want to see no running or singing and dancing. They come to see a fight. And Bumpkin, the bad guy, always delivers. Nueva York, man. New York is like my second home. Welcome to the big time. You'll get a shot at this, Chico. I don't think you can do it. Boy, Razor's had great success, as we know, right here in New York in Madison Square Garden. And I can tell you something, Double J knows that. When I talked to him, I asked him if uh, he had heard about Razor's street fighting ability and if he was a little intimidated. <laughs> Ross, are you serious? What'd you say? Intimidated by, uh, by what? It's Razor Ramon's street fighting ability is very oh, renowned here in WWE. give me a break. Give me a break. Everybody knows, Ross, <laughs> that I'm the greatest singer in the world. And everybody knows that I'm the greatest dancer. And everybody knows that I'm the greatest country music performer ever to live. And soon everybody's going to know that I'm the greatest wrestler and the greatest fighter because when I get done with the WWF, they're going to rename it the Double JF. <laughs> Take what, that, Ross. Well, did you know that uh, Razor Ramon considers Madison Square Garden his second home? Yeah, that don't surprise me. He probably lives down in the sewer right under it, just like everybody in that building smells like a sewer. But boy, don't you forget it because I'm coming to the garden. That's J E double F, J A double R E double T, double J. Razor Ramon, happy to talk about the speed and quickness of old Double J as Jarrett responds, saying he's not intimidated of the bad guy. Jeff Jarrett looking to become the next Intercontinental Champion, as is Shawn Michaels, as, well, actually, if you ask Shawn, he never lost it, but as is IRS, half the roster looking for Razor Ramon right now. And we go back to clips from Monday Night Raw, Ludwig Borger versus Tatanka once again, the Lex Luger-Yokozuna run-ins. 
And to the ring, the Rocket Owen Hart taking on the father of one Carmella, the current WWE superstar Carmella. It's Paul Van Dale, the father of Carmella here. Owen, once again, giving away some Hitman shades at ringside as Van Dale shows off some nice biceps, double bicep pose here from Van Dale. Doesn't do him any good, though. Owen Hart takes over immediately, eventually nailing a spinning heel kick, and the sharpshooter gets the submission win, one minute and 54 seconds. As we once again see Quang vignette number one, before we're back to the ring, Stan Lane now in the ring. They got Stan Lane conducting interviews here on Wrestling Challenge. Stan Lane interviewing IRS as IRS shushes the tax cheats before discussing Razor losing his fool's gold, as Irwin calls it. Stan Lane accuses IRS of having Razor's gold chains in his briefcase, but IRS refutes the implication, but he also refuses to open the briefcase to prove it. He's not a thief, he's IRS. And Irwin says after the Rumble, he will have all of Razor's gold, including his intercontinental title belt. Wait, wait a minute, doesn't that mean Stan Lane catches it too? Wait a minute, you'll have all of Razor's gold? So, so you are saying you have Razor's chains in your possession. IRS has just ratted himself out, but he, he denies the allegations. No, Stan Lane is putting words in Irwin's mouth. But at the Royal Rumble, Razor will find out what it's like to pay IRS. I wrote, quick and painless segment to try and add heat to the IC title match at the Royal Rumble. Really not all that bad. They got right to the point there. As we're off to the Royal Rumble report, we see once again Undertaker in that workshop and then back to the ring, Double J, Jeff Jarrett taking on the future Scotty Tuhati. Scott Taylor this week is Double J once again strutting his way out to the ring, this time in a blue and purple ensemble. As Jarrett with a cheap shot on Taylor to begin things and a giant backdrop launches Scotty high into the air. We get an insert promo from old Double J wanting to rename the WWF the Double J up. Back in the ring, Jarrett with a really nice-looking dropkick and a strut across the ring. A Fargo strut, if you will. That's Jackie Fargo, but Gorilla says the strut reminds him of Buddy Rogers. Guess it depends on the territory, Gorilla. Taylor comes back with just a little bit of offense before Jarrett takes back over, looks into the camera, and calls out the likes of Bret Hart, The Undertaker, and The Macho Man. Double J even busts out a really nice-looking running power slam. Might have wanted to kept that in his repertoire, at least while the Bulldog's gone. But the jumping DDT will get the win as Jeff Jarrett hooks the tights for no other reason than to be the heel that he is. Jeff Jarrett scores the win, 3 minutes and 39 seconds as we close out our final edition of Wrestling Challenge with face-to-face -face yet again in the New York market, headed back to Madison Square Garden January 17th, talking that New York City rumble. Shawn Michaels once again answers what would happen if he draws number one and Diesel were to draw number two. We'll also hear from Harvey Whippleman and his man Adam Baum and what it might mean for Adam Baum to win the New York City Rumble. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I talked to Shawn Michaels about this New York City Royal Rumble, and I asked him, how is it going to feel if Shawn was the first man in the Royal Rumble on the 17th of January, and if Diesel were the number two man to come to the ring in the garden? Here was his answer. Well, you know, I couldn't think of a more uncomfortable situation but diesel my good friend my good buddy if i was drawn number one and you were drawn number two i'd have to show you that i am the wrestler of the 90s you know sean 30 men are going to be participating in this uh, new york city rumble on january 17th in the garden uh any special strategy you're gonna have 30 men in there at one time at the end of this rumble well i figure if there's gonna be 30 men in there at one time let them all beat each other to death 
Shawn Michaels will just stand aside and let them go out one by one. And then eventually, one man will be standing tall right in the middle of the ring. And you want to know who it's going to be? It's going to be the Heartbreak Kid. Why? Because he is the wrestler of the 90s, the undisputed Intercontinental Champion, and he will be the winner of the Royal Rumble. This whole situation certainly uh, has some uh, amazing possibilities, this 30-man New York City Royal Rumble. It could make your career. That's exactly what I asked Harvey Whippleman about Adam Bomb. What would it mean to win this for Bomb's career? Well, of course, this is the opportunity that Adam Bomb's been waiting for. Finally, he's got the opportunity to prove he is the superior athlete, the dominant force in the World Wrestling Federation. 30 athletes, that means 29 other wrestlers will be in that ring. And Adam Bomb hopes that he's the first man in, because he will be the last man out. So everybody, come on down. Scott Steiner, we'll throw you out one side. Quebecers, you come down, we'll throw you out the other side. The head shrinkers, will throw you out. We don't care who it is. You come on down, because Adam Bomb will prove that he is the dominant force in the World Wrestling Federation, and he will win the New York City Royal Rumble. It is time in Madison Square Garden for the lion to roar. Be ready to meet the creation of devastation. All right, and Shawn Michaels still rocking that bogus IC title there, and I wrote, we closed 1993 face-to-face with an Adam Bomb promo. Who booked this shit? But that wraps it up. That's our final face-to-face here in 1993 as we get yet again the Yoko Claus promo. I wrote, what else but unbelievable. Merry Christmas, everyone. To close the show here on Wrestling Challenge, it's over to All-American, December 26th. Vince McMahon still rolling solo. This week, it's an exclusive interview. Vince McMahon chats with the Quebecers and Johnny Polo about their match with Brett and Owen Hart at the Royal Rumble. And as promised, we finally get it here on TV, taped back December 13th, Poughkeepsie, New York. It's WWF Women's Title Tournament Finals action. Alundra Blaze defeats Heidi Lee Morgan with the German suplex into a bridge, 6 minutes and 29 seconds, to become the undisputed women's champion as Alundra Blaze, the former Medusa, finally makes her WWF TV debut. And we're off to our final show of the year here in 1993, Monday Night Raw for December 27th. Tape back December 13th, Poughkeepsie, New York, Mid-Hudson Civic Center. We kick things off right away. Highlights from last week's Tatanka and Ludwig Borga match. Yokozuna running in, Lex Luger clearing house. And we kick off the show with Vince McMahon ringside. And here come the WWF Tag Team Champion, the Quebecers. As Jacques puts over Johnny Polo is not only the greatest manager of all time, but the greatest singles wrestler. In the WWF as well as Polo is scheduled to take on Marty Jannetty here today on Raw. We then hear from Pierre, who only speaks French. Parlez-vous scrambled eggs, Grandma? That comment actually ties into our next project, 1987 in the WWF, for those who get it. But Vince asks Pierre to speak only English, please. Oh, Vince, that would not go over well today. But we head to the ring, and yes, it is an American original. Lex Luger in his very first squash match in something like Six months. Here is Luger scheduled to take on Barry Horowitz. And if I'm having a squash match, you couldn't ask for a better opponent. And I hate to keep sounding like a broken record, but do you guys realize this is Lex Luger's second TV match since he turned babyface back on the 4th of July? One against Pierre last month, heading into the Survivor Series, and now this. Two TV matches in the last six months, and maybe... Maybe that is just another reason why the Lex Luger character fizzling here by the end of the year. Hardly ever seen on TV, 
And this is not Hulk Hogan, guys. Lex Luger is not going to keep himself over on promos alone. As Luger's scheduled for action here with Barry Horowitz. Hey, we don't know for sure. Maybe Barry Horowitz. Remember that match a few weeks ago? Barry Horowitz versus Bob Backlund closed the show. We never saw a winner because of the Macho Man Crush Brawl at the end of the show. Maybe Barry Horowitz really did beat Bob Backlund. Maybe that's how he's earned himself a match here with Lex Luger, and maybe not. On commentary, Jacques Rougeau mocks Luger for oiling up as Vince admits, It enhances his look, pal. And it also allows him to slip away from opponents says Vince McMahon. Sounds illegal. But then again, he uses a steel-plated forearm. They use this match on commentary to play up Lex Luger possibly participating in the Royal Rumble match. And remember, Jacques wrestles Lex Luger here on Superstars this coming week. In the match, Barry Horowitz with a shocking amount of generic offense. In fact, way too much. And I said it before here a couple weeks ago with Pierre. I love guys getting more offense in than you would usually expect here against the likes of Lex Luger. And I especially always love to see Horowitz get in a few shots here and there, but against Lex Luger, probably not the best opponent to do this with. Lex Luger makes the big comeback with a clothesline, a power slam, and a superplex. That's all. Luger picks up the win with a superplex here. Four minutes and 25 seconds. Barry dominated the entire middle of the match with basic heel offense just one week after Lex Luger slams Yokozuna here on TV. I wrote, I don't get it. Was this Luger's call? Did he say, Barry, you dominate the match because I'm not good at calling matches and hey, I like you, you're a nice guy, Barry, get a few shots in, I'll make the comeback, boom, 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 we'll go home. And yes, I know it's different times here in 1993, but Hulk Hogan's not going to slam Andre the Giant one week and then sell for Jimmy Jack Funk the next. And that's what we see here. Last week, Luger slamming WWF champion Yokozuna as we go off the air. This week, having his hands full, at least for a few minutes, with Barry Horowitz. And once again, it's time to show the 900 vote line. You get to vote whether or not you think Jack Tunney should allow Lex Luger into the Royal Rumble match. Seems like things do work out for the American original, at least in the short term. And we go back in time several weeks ago. Johnny Polo comes to ringside during a match between the 1-2-3 kid versus Marty Jannetty. Polo causes both men to be counted out of the match. And if you guys remember also on that show, Polo had quipped in a promo that he could beat either man, Gennetti or the 123 Kid, in a one-on-one match. So we get another Johnny Polo promo here on this week's episode of Raw Backstage. Polo tells McMoron that he can beat Marty Confetti or the Snot-Nosed Kid. And here tonight, Johnny Polo has Marty Confetti, Marty Gennetti in a one-on-one match. In fact, that match is up next right here on Raw. And it's our final feature match of 1993 as Gennetti takes on manager Johnny Polo. And as Polo removes the button-up shirt, it's revealed it's a new, thicker Johnny Polo. It looks like Scotty Flamingo, the former Palm Beach heartthrob Scott Anthony, has uh, really filled out here by 1993. And it looks like he can also wrestle, too, as we see him do a little around the world here on Marty Jannetty into a hammerlock and into a hiplock, says Marty Jannetty down to the mat. As Polo showboats for taking Janetti down, Marty eventually rushes at Polo, but he counters into an arm drag on Janetti and more showboating from the manager, Johnny Polo. As Janetti looks none too pleased at the situation, Janetti does take over, sending Polo face first into the buckle in the corner. Marty tries it again, an Irish whip into the far corner, but Polo shows off his athleticism as he jumps over the top rope and lands on the apron. But as Polo celebrates, Marty is waiting for him and brings him back in the hard way. 
and then it's an atomic drop and a back suplex for a two count. Polo tries to fight back with a clothesline, but MJ turns it into a crucifix and down into a sunset flip for another near fall. Polo then up against the ropes as Marty Jannetty comes charging. Polo ducks down and Jannetty goes flying over the top rope and out to the floor. And with Marty now down on the outside, Polo runs off the ropes and it's a running leap. A Pescado of sorts over the top rope and down on Marty Jannetty. Not very pretty, but effective. As he looks into the camera and says, it's Polo fever. Catch it. Polo rolls back inside, but Marty Jannetty with a slingshot crossbody from the apron gets a two count. Both Marty and Polo have the same idea, both going for a crossbody attempt at the same time and collide in midair, but Jannetty back up first with a spinning elbow and then goes up top for the flying fist drop, but he gets caught by Johnny Polo on the top rope. Johnny tries a superplex right after Lex Luger does a superplex in the last match, but Polo tries a superplex, but Jannetty counters with a gourd buster from the middle rope and a really shitty bump onto the knees of Johnny Polo. Talk about protecting yourself. Marty Jannetty then with a top rope body block for a near fall on the manager. And I wrote, why is Johnny Polo, the manager, kicking out of moves like this? Marty winds up running into a Polo boot in the corner, but Johnny charges across into the opposing corner where Marty Jannetty leapfrogs over top of him in schoolboy's Polo for a two count. Marty with a dropkick sending Johnny Polo over the top rope. Another really shitty bump as Johnny Polo protects himself slowly hopping over the top rope and out to the floor from a Jannetty dropkick. Pierre then checks on his manager ringside, but Marty Jannetty with a baseball slide dropkick nails Polo into Pierre on the floor, and both men go down briefly. Jannetty then goes to run the ropes, looking for a dive out of the ring onto Johnny Polo, but Pierre from behind trips up Marty in the ring. Polo sneaks in from behind, but he's caught with a super kick, a very shitty looking super kick from Marty Jannetty, getting sloppy here, guys, especially Johnny Polo, but you can blame it on ring rust, I suppose. Polo down from the super kick and Marty Jannetty going back to the top, looking for the fist drop yet again, but this time Pierre pulls Polo out of the ring. I wrote, why isn't this a disqualification? Blatant interference in the match, Pierre saves his manager by pulling Polo out of harm's way and out to the floor, so Marty Jannetty dives off the top rope onto Pierre on the floor instead. And down goes Pierre, Jacques Rougeau, all the time on commentary, I should point out. As Polo rolls back inside, Marty Jannetty looks for a slingshot sunset flip back into the ring, but Polo won't go down. Instead, Polo drops to his knees on top of Marty Jannetty and then grabs the hands of Pierre on the outside for added leverage. And Polo will steal the win over Marty Jannetty in 8 minutes and 21 seconds. Unbelievable. Johnny Polo getting the win here in Marty Jannetty. Post-match, he is pissed as he is pinned by Johnny Polo, who in the WWF, we only know him to be a manager at this point, but he really held his own in a really odd situation here. Me personally, when I was watching this when it happened, excited to see Scott Anthony, aka Scotty Flamingo here in a WWF ring. I had seen him in Global, I had seen him in WCW, I had seen him in the Aftermax, I think I even saw him a little bit in USWA Dallas there near the dying days of the USWA. So I was very well aware that Johnny Polo was a wrestler. In fact, I'd always wondered, why isn't he wrestling? So I was pumped to see him in the ring here with Marty Jannetty. But at the same time, he goes from a manager to kicking out of moves like top rope cross body blocks and giving Marty Jannetty, a former IC champion, a real fight here before stealing the win. I feel something like this could have confused the casual fan or, or at least the WWF fans at the time. And it makes Marty look weak in, in the fans' eyes, I would have to think. 
But this all leads to something much bigger. As we know, this will lead to Marty Jannetty and the 123 Kid briefly winning the tag team titles from the Quebecers here later in January of 94. But Johnny Polo nevertheless picks up the win. The Quebecers celebrate on commentary as Marty Jannetty grabs a chair from ringside, threatening to deck Pierre before referee Joey Morella ejects Pierre from ringside. A little late for that, Morella. Plus, Jacques can stay, apparently. A fun little segment there that'll lead to something more. Plus, we get to see Johnny Polo in action for the first and only time before we close out 1993 in the World Wrestling Federation. And we also get Yoko Claus. We see the Yoko Claus vignette yet one more time. Unbelievable! As we bid goodbye to Raw Girl Themis Clarities here in 1993. One last shot of Themis here. But we also, unfortunately, get to see one last time. It's Doink the Clown in the ring. And that also means Dink is alongside him as he takes on Spike Gray. Unfamiliar with this guy, Spike Gray, or as Vince calls him, Mike Gray, not even going to sell the name Spike. Prior to the match, Dink offers Doink a stick of gum. Then he offers a stick of gum to Spike Gray, but oops, instead, Spike is caught with a mini mouse trap. Oh, that wacky Dink. Gray then chases Dink around the ring before getting kicked in the shin for his troubles. As the bell finally sounds, we get some stalling from Gray, who has had enough of Dink, finally goes up to Dink in the corner. Dink sitting on the top turnbuckle. Gray takes a swing at Dink but misses. However, Dink connects with a punch to the nose. Also, not a disqualification for some reason. And that leads into a Doink German suplex and a bridge. Doink the Clown picks up the win with one move in one minute and three seconds of a shit finish. I wrote, quick win, just wish I could say it was painless. As we're off to our final Royal Rumble report of 1993, Lex Luger still yet to be permitted to enter the Royal Rumble. But hey guys, call the 900 line. Call the hotline, says Mean Gene Okerlund over in WCW. But the voting is overwhelmingly already in the favor of Lex Luger for Jack Tunney to allow Luger into the Royal Rumble match. So Jack Tunney has some debating to do. We also hear another Brett and Owen Hart Brothers promo about their upcoming match with the Quebecers for the tag team titles at the Royal Rumble. And next week, here on Raw, the feature match, listen to this one, the Smoking Guns, Billy and Bart, taking on the team of Bastion Booger and Bam Bam Bigelow. Next week, here on Raw, I wrote, Ugh, glad this is it. I'm glad we are finishing up here this week. As the show continues on, it is Crush Brother. One last time, Master Fuji in his corner, taking on Mike Moraldo. Vince now referring to Crush as the Kona Crush. As we see the big press slam and a claw slam. Picture a choke slam, but with the claw here from Crush on poor Mike Moraldo, Crush continues to hold on the claw, has it locked in, and gets the submission win in just two minutes and 13 seconds. As one final time, we visit Paul Bear and The Undertaker in his workshop as he continues to build that casket for Yokozuna. Let's listen as The Undertaker has a special holiday message for Yokozuna. How kind of him. Soon, Yokozuna, you too will be gift-wrapped. Merry Christmas, Yokozuna. Ho. 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 Merry Christmas, Yokozuna. Ho, ho, ho says The Undertaker. Oh, but we're not done there yet in the holiday spirit. Not only do we get Christmas wishes from The Undertaker, 
We also get a reminder from the hitman, Bret Hart. This holiday season, just remember these careful words of wisdom. You're going to have a good time. You're going to be partying and you're going to be celebrating, but don't ever forget for one second that you can't make that one big deadly mistake. Just remember one thing. Don't drink and drive. And the hitman reminding us, don't drink and drive or you'll be sorry. If only a young Sonny had heard this. From here, we're greeted with women's title tournament final highlights. First, we hear promos from both Alundra Blaze and Heidi Lee Morgan before we see highlights from the match. Remember, the full match aired on All-American just yesterday, December 26th, and it is Alundra Blaze defeating Heidi Lee Morgan with the German suplex to become the undisputed WWF Women's Champion. As we get another look at the Quang vignette, number one, and then back to the ring, the bad guy Razor Ramon making his way out, to which Jacques Rougeau says, something's wrong with Razor. Obviously mocking the Quang promo before something's wrong with Razor. Vince McMahon said, no, that's Quang, and the word is wrong. Jacques Rougeau filled with bad comedy all throughout this episode of Raw. Razor Ramon, though, to the ring to take on young Derek Domino. And you get so used to something, it just sticks out, and no gold around the neck of the bad guy here really sticks out, of course, stolen by Erwin R. Scheister somehow. Not really sure how he got that gold at ringside. I don't know if we ever do figure that out. In another cheesy joke by Jacques Rougeau, he says, Derek Domino promised Jacques to deliver Razor Ramon in 30 minutes or less. Vince says, not anymore, of course, making reference to the old Domino's promise of getting your pizza to you in 30 minutes or less, or you get it for free. Then, of course, what eventually happened there was a young man attempted to speed to the house in order to get it there in 30 minutes or less and wound up killing someone in the process, and thus Domino's had to drop the 30 minutes or less deal. So Jacques Rougeau making the joke, and Vince McMahon saying, not anymore, for those who aren't hip to 1990s pop culture. In the match, we see Ramon with a super fallaway slam, an abdominal stretch, Take that, IRS. Razor rocking the abdominal stretch this week. And a back superplex before that's it. The Razor's Edge gets the win. Three minutes and 52 seconds. We end the year with a Razor Ramon squash, and I ain't mad at it. In the last couple weeks especially, very busy episodes of Raw. Less quality matches and more angles and squashes. But we did get this week at least the Marty Jannetty-Johnny Polo match, which was fun and continued the upcoming angle as I'd mentioned, between the Quebecers and Jannetty and the kids, so it served two purposes here this week, but lots of little squash matches in between again this week on Raw. And next week, let's not forget the Smoking Guns taking on Bastion Booger and Bam Bam Bigelow, plus Yokozuna in a rare appearance here in the ring. Yoko going one-on-one against some poor soul in a squash match. I smell a little angle there with The Undertaker, but we'll never know, at least not right now here, as that wraps things up here. In 1993, in the World Wrestling Federation, guys, we made it. 12 months of Raw Superstars Wrestling Challenge to a lesser extent. All-American Mania Spotlight up in Canada on TSN exclusive matches internationally. We covered so much over these last 12 months, including tons of pay-per-views. The debut of King of the Ring is a pay-per-view. Of course, the Big Four, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania 9, SummerSlam, the Survivor Series. We even did a couple of European Rampage Tour shows with a really great match between Bret Hart and Bam Bam Bigelow there. We've seen so much from beginning to end. We're going to talk all about that when we return, remember, in two weeks' time. Taking the week off next week to prepare for 1987 in the WWF. But next week, we're going to talk about the fallout here of 1993. 
We're going to look at how the roster ends here in 93 versus how it started. Who's left? Not very many guys. You'd be surprised. Plus, I'll be giving away, eh, say, a, a half dozen end-of-the-year awards here for 1993. But for all intents and purposes, we wrap things up. All the news and notes over and done with. All of our TV reviews also behind us. It's been a very long ride. And I want to especially thank everyone who stuck with me from August forward as I had to run solo here through the grenade, including doing two watch-alongs, two massive watch-alongs all by my lonesome. I was very worried about how they would turn out, but it was a fun time. As we conclude things here in 1993 in the World Wrestling Federation, 1987, right around the corner. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. And we made it, guys. Unbelievable journey through 1993 in the World Wrestling Federation. But we wrap things up today as December has come to an end. And with the end of 1993 comes a new year. And no, I promise it's not 1994 in the WWF, but rather 1987 in the World Wrestling Federation right around the corner. But before we do that, I'm going to take a one-week, well-deserved break from the show. In all actuality, I'm not taking a break at all. I'm prepping things for the 1987 WWF project. I'll also be spending some of the time adding some new footage to our YouTube account over at youtube.com slash Grenade. And again, you guys can go over to YouTube, click that subscribe button, and you'll never miss a thing. Still lots more to come here from 1993 in the WWF on our YouTube account. Also, the rest of the USWA versus WWF war, and soon, lots of 1987 WWF footage headed to our YouTube account, plus some other random goodies from the territory era. So be sure to subscribe to our YouTube right now. That's youtube.com slash Grenade. And another quick reminder, we have upgraded our all-access tier over to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia, the $5 all-access tier. It already got you my insanely detailed show notes, early access to several of our shows, unedited versions of TR Shocks the World, the Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, and now I have went back and remastered some of the early episodes of the Wrestling Memory Grenade. Not only do you get a better audio quality version of some of our very first shows, but you'll also hear new content that was initially edited out of the show. So some really fun stuff there, and you get all of that for a simple $5. And there's no contract, guys. No full-time subscription. You can cancel any time. Give it a month. Check it out. See what you think. I think you guys are going to like all of the content provided here at WrestleCopia over at our Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia Patreon account. And yes, over a dozen tiers in all. If you can't do $5 right now, we have tiers as low as a $1 tier here to help show your support towards the WrestleCopia brand and the Wrestling Memory Grenade And another reminder to follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade, home of the free prize giveaway. Also follow and like us on Facebook. All you have to do is follow us on Twitter and or Facebook for your chance to enter each and every future free prize giveaway, including the current free prize giveaway of four wrestling magazines from four separate decades, 1952, 1966, 1974, and 1984. Four magazines. If you guys are curious what magazines those are, you can go right now to our social media pages where we have posted pictures and information on those magazines. And all you have to do is follow us. Be a follower of The Grenade for your chance to win. Those social media accounts, once again, follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade and follow us and like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. With all of that out of the way, let's talk about the future of the Wrestling Memory Grenade here 
as I have already mentioned, I'm going to take a week off from posting a show, so there will be no show next week. However, we will be back the following week with a brand new show. It's Ask Me Anything, guys. You can do that right now. You can ask me anything. Ask me anything about the wrestling business, the history of professional wrestling, my thoughts, my opinions. If you have any personal questions, business questions, you want to talk old TV shows, hey, I'm here, I'm open, ask me anything. It doesn't even have to be wrestling related. And all you have to do in order to do that is DM me on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade or send me an email, WrestleCopia, that's WrestleCopia at gmail.com. Send in your questions. And I've already got some interesting questions coming in. And I'll answer them right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade in two weeks' time. Ask me anything, guys. So next week, we're taking a brief break, one week off. It's my spring break. I'm giving it to myself. Though, once again, not a break at all. I'm going to be doing a lot of things behind the scenes here. The following week, it's Ask Me Anything. It's all about you guys, the fans, as I attempt to answer each and every one of your questions. And then in three weeks, we will kick things off with 1987 and the World Wrestling Federation. Andre the Giant returns from Hollywood with a new attitude. Plus, we talk the injuries to Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, the Dynamite Kid, Honky Tonk Man going heel, Jake the Snake Roberts turning babyface, plus the epic feuds of the time, Roddy Piper versus Adrian Adonis, Randy Savage, and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and WrestleMania three just right around the corner. We're going to talk about all of that and so much more as we set the stage. In just three weeks, we talk about all of the fallout from 1986 in the WWF and everything to come in 1987. It's going to be a blast. And I ask you guys to stick with me. And I want to thank all of my loyal listeners so very much for being here each and every week, tuning into the show. It's very important that no matter where you hear the show, you give us that five-star rating. Leave us a little bit of feedback. It's very important, both to the podcast hosts and myself as well. So a little five-star rating goes a long way, guys. And be sure to follow us on wherever you listen to the show, be it WrestleCopia.com or your favorite podcast streaming app, Apple, Spotify, Google Pod, wherever you listen to the show, be sure to follow the Wrestling Memory Grenade so you know when we're back up and running here in two weeks' time. In the meantime, this makes a great time to go back, listen to some of our other shows, or spend your time catching up on TR Shocks the World. Hey, we just recently posted the lost episode of Tom Robinson shocking the world back in December of 2021. Also, we've recently added some new episodes of Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, as Scott Hall has now debuted in World Championship Wrestling, the NWO right around the corner. And this also makes a perfect time to go and check out that Patreon account, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia, $5 all-access tier. You want to hear something new? Head on over there. Tons of watch-along exclusives from Coliseum Video to WWF and WCW pay-per-views. We even did the March to WrestleMania 9 USA special. So much going on over there at our Patreon account. But I want to thank you again from the bottom of my heart. And I'll see you guys back here again in just two weeks' time. Ask me anything, guys. Go over, drop an email, WrestleCopia at gmail.com. DM me on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. But for now, this is Ray Russell saying from pillar to post and coast to coast. You pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. I'll see you in two weeks. Don't miss it. Be there. Merry Christmas, Yokozuna.
Dear, for special report, I am Lord Alfred Hayes.